Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cardinals have dropped nine of their last 11, and Adam Wainwright looking to right the ship and looking to snap a career-high eight-game losing streak. No score after one. And a hard hit ball to third. Oh, what a pick by Arenada. The ball caught him for out number one. And a swing and a miss. Cooper didn't get the breaking ball. Breaking ball to third. Nolan's got it. Flipped the second, and what a job by Wayno. He's been incredible tonight. Probably the last batter of the night coming up for Wainwright. Breaking ball to third. Nolan's got it. Flipped to second. And what a job by Wayno. He's been incredible tonight. We go to the home sixth. It's only a 1 nothing game. We've gone through stretches where we've hit a ton. And uh, we were giving up a lot of runs. So uh, right now is one of those where our guys aren't feeling great at the plate. Some guys are. Some guys aren't. And uh, it's hard to get to just string together at bats. So it's just where we're at at the moment. That was Ollie Marmol after the game last night when the Cardinals wasted an Adam Wainwright start. He's trying so hard to get to 199, man. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley, audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. So, Waino goes out there, gives the Cardinals a quality start. Alex, put yourself in Bill DeWitt Jr.'s suite last night. Think about from his perspective what that was like to watch <laughs> your prize possession this legacy player adam wainwright who's been battling like crazy this year to just get back to competency much less quality like we saw yesterday he is going out there and he's having a really nice outing so much so that you f- okay this might be it this might be 199 and that means as the owner of the team I get to sell the crap out of 200 every time that he's going out there between now and the end of the season. And instead, your offense, which you were paying crazy amounts of money for right now. You got 60 million bucks just tied into Goldie and Arenado. You gave 85 million bucks this past offseason to Wilson Contreras. You've been spending all this time hearing about Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, these young prize possessions that you've got in your system. And oh, by the way, I didn't even mention Tommy Edman and Tyler O'Neill, who have been significant pieces for winning clubs for the Cardinals in previous seasons. Hey, guys, that was your lineup yesterday. I don't want to hear all of this about how the Cardinals are hurt, this, that, and the other. If you told me coming into the season, this is what the Cardinals lineup would look like in late August of 2023, I would have said, yeah, makes sense. Like, there's probably an off day mixed in there for Brendan Donovan, maybe not a great matchup for Lars Nooper. I could see how that would be the kind of lineup that you would put together in late August. And that's without knowing anything else about the season. I would have assumed at the time that the Cardinals were contending. So put yourself, Alex, yesterday in Bill DeWitt Jr. shoes. What's it like to watch that game for you? Picture yourself picking up a cell phone and chucking it at a wall as hard as possible because that's what it has to feel like to be Bill DeWitt right now. The whole reason you 
gave the money to Wayno and you made this last year was to chase 200 on top of wanting to compete, but you thought that Wayno was going to have it in him, and now it's just, let's get 200. And the offense that you're you're paying, what? I, I would say 40%, 50% of your payroll towards has been abysmal. John Denton had this last night. If you said this already, I wasn't listening to you. That's fair. I'd like to preface that just that in case. Reading. Zero runs of support in seven of his 18 starts this season. I didn't mention that. Okay, good. Look You're at good. me go. You got it, man. But the wow, l- what a stat. I, I mean, come on. Look at Alex go right now. But two of his last three. It is on the rundown. But it's fine. I didn't look at that. It like, was be- in the notes last night, but I did not mention it in my the, open. Beat you to the punch. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't care how I got there. Yeah, got there. I got there. It's like a finish line. Sometimes I start sentences. I don't know where they're going to end up. Two of his last three starts, he's gotten given up four earned runs in 12 innings. Like, that... You should be winning games for Adam Wainwright if he's giving up three or less earned runs and giving you six innings of work. 100%. And I understand he went up. You went up against Blake Snell. The guy's got swing and miss stuff. That's why some people in St. Louis want him on their team. Doesn't matter. When you've got Goldschmidt and Arenado and Contreras and all of these guys that were supposed to be this juggernaut of consistency, right, BK? It has not been. And Wayno suffers for it. I don't even feel as bad for Bill DeWitt as I do for... I want to be clear here. I don't feel bad for Bill DeWitt. Oh, that's not true. I heard him say he feels bad for Bill My DeWitt. My point on this is Bill DeWitt has to be furious. And some of that is his own doing by not going out and being aggressive enough last offseason. I don't think it's just John Mosellock that's making these decisions. I think he's making them in tandem with the ownership group. I think sometimes we put a little too much of our frustrations into John Mosellock and not enough into the ownership side of things. But we'll get to that at a later t- at a later time. My point is, if you're Bill DeWitt Jr. and you're watching this right now onto the field, I guess there's two routes that it could go. Route number one, you say to yourself, ah, this team stinks. Why would I invest in it? Route number two, though, and I think this is more likely, you look at it and you say, man, we have got to figure this thing out and we have to make some hard decisions going into this offseason. And that may mean spending significant capital on the pitching that you need to go out there and acquire. Yesterday, the pitching obviously wasn't the problem, but it has been for much of the rest of this season. Yeah, and I think last night was the worst nightmare for Bill DeWood Jr. Because of the fact of the matter that the legacy player doesn't get the win, and why doesn't he get the win? Because your offense doesn't come through. I thought for sure, especially the way that the season's been going for Wayno, the way he was going to get to 200 was the Cardinals were going to have to win a game like 10-9 to and score all those runs like before the fifth inning. But last night, the last two outings for him has been great. And they just haven't been able to come through for him. And it, let's just be honest. It's the only selling point for the Cardinals right now. Yep. Why, why would I go watch the Cardinals right now? Because Adam Wainwright's getting a start. No, even the future looks bleak. <laughs> I, the only guy that's worth watching is Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker on offense. Andrew Kisner. That's part of the future. And then the rotation arms. I like, wouldn't watch Mason Wynn on offense right now. Yeah, I wouldn't either. But but even the arms that we're talking about, those young arms like Jack Thompson and I, you know, those guys are in your rotation going into next year if the offseason goes to plan so the only thing worth watching the cardinals for is wayno's chase to 200 and that poor guy can't get any run support so i that is the worst nightmare for bill jr and and to your point i I think you're right i think he's going to look at this team and go this is an abysmal product that we've put out there this year and it's not like him to just go all right well let's just sell off all the pieces and make this worse no i expect him to see this product that's on the field and go we need to be aggressive we need to make significant changes if we're going to bring people back to Bush Stadium. I'm also kind of sick of the excuses for the offense. I don't want to hear it anymore. Hold on. You're sick of it? Yeah. 
Really? I'm sick of it, which means you know it's gone bad. Wow. Let me know when the apology is coming. Tell my me way. more about the quality pitching. I, I've got one coming up later today. Oh. Don't you worry. Yes. Tell me more about the quality pitching wow, that you're going your up birthday? against. I get it. Last three days, you've gone up against Nola, Wheeler, and Snell. That's pretty damn good. That's honestly about as good as you're going to see at any stretch of any season. But isn't your offense supposed to be one of the best in the National League, Major yes. League Baseball? You're supposed to put up more than, I don't know, two runs over those three games. That is an abomination. I don't want to hear about that. And you're not just getting beat. You're getting pummeled in these games. But what about Christopher Sanchez, who went six and gave up two? What about Bailey Falter? Who went six? Okay, exactly. Off. That's not a name. Yep, that guy threw six innings, eight strikeouts, and gave up one earned run against you. Is that happened lefty? on August 21st. He's a lefty. Oh. Shut him down. You're supposed to shell lefties. No. All your left-handed hitters are hurt right now. That's supposed to be where you're still fine. To be Kodai fair. Senga, Unknown lefties. Kodai Senga, to be fair, good pitcher. Shouldn't be going six innings, two earned runs, five strikeouts against you. Paul Bleep and Blackburn. Hey, we who might I trade talked about him. acquiring two years ago for like <laughs> minor leaguers that are probably never going to see the big leagues. Seven innings, eight strikeouts, a guy that doesn't strike anybody out, zero earned runs. Come on, man. Well, now they're consistent. In your last 12 games, you have lost 10. 10 times in your last 12 games, you've lost. In those 10 losses, you have combined, Alex, combined to score 13 runs. Seven of those 13 runs came on solo home runs. I love the slug baby slug mantra. I'm all about it, T-Bone. Oh, yeah. A little too much. But this is not about the slug baby slug. This is about them hitting 198 as a team in that stretch. Them getting on base 27% of the time. They have a slugging percentage, guys, in their last... 12 games that would be an, a really good batting average of a, over a 12 game stretch of 307 their OPS in their last 12 games is 580 that would be bad for a backup major league catcher it's horrendous for an entire major league team I don't care what kind of pitching you're going up against this offense is supposed to do well against good pitching what I have said all along is your offense can take you through October pitching gets you there Offense takes you through. That's what the Phillies have done. That's what the Braves did a couple of years ago. That's what the Dodgers have done. That's what the uh, Astros have done. Man, you need good offense. But what does good offense do? It hits good pitching. This offense isn't doing that. It didn't do it last year in the postseason. It didn't do it the year before in the postseason. It didn't do it in 2019 in the postseason. And it ain't doing it now down the stretch in the regular season. You feel good right now? I feel angry, man. man. This this just like Because this isn't supposed to happen to this team. You've been outscored 82 to 26 in your last 12 games. Jeez. This is like a warm hug right now yeah, because like I I've, I've been on this island by myself and called negative for so long. Dude, we talk so much about the pitching and we should because it is bad, man. This offense is getting a free pass right now and it shouldn't. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado are still in your lineup. Now, Arenado is dealing with the nagging back issue. And so, like, if you want to give him a little bit of an out, sure. What about Wilson Contreras, who went 0 for 3 last night? What about Nolan Gorman, who went 0 for 3 last night? What are we doing with these guys? What about Tyler O'Neill 0 for 3 last night? Tommy Edmond 0 for 4 last night, batting 239 on the season, getting on base 30% of the time. These are guys that are supposed to be capable, quality major league hitters, and they're not doing it right now. So this season, the offense was supposed to be able to sustain you. And Alex, over the last month now, it's not just the last 12 games, last month, 
This offense has been horrendous. They look like they're giving up on the season, and that's unacceptable. Even I say that as somebody who says this season doesn't matter anymore. It's got to get better than this, dude. Yeah, because the worst thing that this team can do is just quit on the year and say, well, it's not in our year. We'll just bide our time the final 30 or so games, and then we'll call it. Because that just inserts bad habits into a snowball effect next year of when things start going downhill. You just say, well, bleep it. It's not our year once again, and you don't fight your way out of it. I'd like to see a little bit more fight from this team right now, especially when you got a guy like Adam Wainwright on the mound, because this puts bad habits into your problem. This is the reason, though, that I look at this roster and say... There are three guys that are untouchable. Now I think there might be two because Paul Goldschmidt's starting to get me a little concerned. But the unto- I, I think that Paul Goldschmidt's getting a pass here, and I think it's kind of it's the, bothering. It's rubbing me the wrong way, honestly. The untouchables are Walker and Arenado, and other than that, and Goldie. Oh, you're talking. No, I thought you meant from criticism. No, 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 no. <laughs> untouchables meaning like move on from them in the sure. offseason. This team might need a revamp. And that's why as much as I got pushback of why would you trade Nolan Gorman? Look at him. That's fine. But Nolan Gorman hasn't shown me consistency right now. There's not a lot of guys on this roster that have. And if I've got better options coming my way in the offseason because they're cost controlled younger players, I'm going to take it. Because this team right now might need some massive changes. All right, you know, I was with you up until we got to the trading Goldie part. Why? I, I wouldn't still trade Goldie either. I, I am worried right now about Goldie. I, I think me be- the Seattle guy said you could have traded him for Logan Gilbert. I, I think he's becoming more. Hey, remember, we're no, at he a- said we, that might not do it. Yeah. And oh, right it, now, oh, it would have done it. We put it. I we did this while you were gone, so I'll give you a free pass. This one, we're not talking about the Mariners pitchers. Okay, first of all, you don't tell me what to do. I'm I tell you what to do. Which name comes first in our show, Alex? Doesn't matter. Who controls the button to your microphone? <laughs> also, very true. I will speak of the Seattle Mariners pitchers as well as I damn please. Okay. But I, I think <laughs> to your not a part of this treaty. I'm going to be on my own island. But to the point on the offense, look. This team was going to lose a lot of games this month and next month. But because of their pitching, not because of the offense. Exactly. And right now, it's because of the offense. The offense does look like it's quit on the year. And if I'm being completely honest, I do think Ollie's job is still safe, though many people will disagree with that. The team quits on him. I don't know if they're, I don't know if I can continue to say that. And that's what it looks like right (laughs) now. I I just quit on him. I don't even know how to describe what we're watching right now. It it looks non competitive. It is non-competitive. I, I think that that's something that worries me. It is. I'm going to be totally honest. The, the team looking non-competitive right now. I understand you are in a situation, and I have said this myself, where these games do not matter. But they don't matter to a degree. They, I'm not super worried if you lose 4-3, to 5-4, to four, stuff like that, right? That's going to happen. And if you have certain games where you've got... I don't know, uh, Drew Rom, who's going out there and he's get, he just gets shelled or Matthew Libertor has a terrible outing or one of these relievers that you have that don't matter for 2024, Jacob Barnes last night, for example. One of these guys goes out there and they just get absolutely destroyed for an inning. So be it, man. That's, that's going to happen because these guys aren't part of your future. This offense mostly has players that you're counting on for 2024. And if they aren't able to get it back on track down the stretch, that is at least noteworthy. It's something that we have to take into consideration um, in terms of what, what the team can expect out of them next year. And it's become a bit of a trend where the team starts to kind of fizzle down the stretch. So it's something that's been 
kind of stuck in my craw, and I'm glad we could get this off of our can chest. I, can I bring up one more thing? Sure. Because it, it reminds me. Is this me. a purge? Did we just do a purge? Hit the like siren! <laughs> but, the, but to your point on the fizzle, I, one, they fizzled last year, and two, remember when they kind of went on that hot streak? I can't remember when it was. April, May, somewhere in that. And then they went cold again, and it was, well, it's 19 games, 19 days. Okay, well, you have two days off. How are you going to rebound in Pittsburgh and you get swept? I, call me a little concerned that it continues to be a excuse for the team as a whole. Last year, it was the fizzling out. Earlier this year, and I said this at the time, if you're tired in May, what are you going to be in August and September? And look, I, I'm not saying I, it's an excuse right now that they are quote-unquote tired and they're dealing with stuff, yes. But again, the offense should be better than what it is right now. So I... I'm a little concerned that this becomes the common trend for the St. Louis Cardinals is, oh, well, we're getting tired. Well, everybody in baseball is getting tired. Exactly. Everybody's getting tired. Do you really think that the Toronto Blue Jays want to go out and play today? Do you really think the Tampa Bay Rays want to go out and play today while their whole pitching staff's on the I.L.? No, they're all tired. It's about getting out there and trying to win a baseball game, and that's a little concern for me on the quitting side, too. Great pep talk, man. Thank you. Congrats to you. That's Alex Ferrario. You He's know? Tanner Hendrickson. Pep talk to DeWitt about spending money this offseason. Yeah, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. You think you're tired of using a credit card, Bill? I'm tired of using a credit card, right? Right, Tanner? What? I don't know. I'm a little tired right now in general. Baby boy. Not fighting sleep a oh, lot. Oh, really? Did all right last night, all things yeah? considered. Yeah, mm-hmm. we made it through. No, I don't hear you complaining post game. Went to sleep at like one. We figured it out. Yeah. I thought you were about to take a shot at me, and I was about to destroy Tanner there. Got but then he said, Ollie, so gonna... issues in the house. Got some piping that needs to get looked at. It's been an adventure over the last week, boys. Cardinals got some piping they need to look I'm at, gonna too. I'm going to get a text later tonight. Hey, can I uh, can I bring my whole family to your apartment? <laughs> yeah, do you, hey, do you mind if I stay at your Come apartment? on over, man. You're welcome over our house. Um, I had a lot of stray bullets that were coming my way this morning oh. on the morning show and then on the balloon party, it sounds oh, like, yeah. because of my commissionership. Yeah. First of all, anybody named Jackson from the balloon party who's complaining about fantasy football, I've got an issue. Now, I want to be clear. I didn't hear it, so I can't speak to whether or not he did. But if uh, he did, don't worry, the text line will let we'll us chat know. about that coming up later on today. I know Brooke Grimsley certainly had some choice words for me. We'll respond Which to that. Is funny because she got an A plus on her draft report. Card, Which is also funny because she voted yes to invite two That's more cool. people hey, into man, the we'll, draft. We'll address it. We'll address no, it head on. No, stray bullets are coming at you. I'm going to send them the other way. <laughs> Thanks for Ario's secondary piece. To the get out of the way. Show. He just called me a secondary piece. <laughs> All right, that's it. Get to get out of the way now. Yep, that's it. Coming Time to step next. aside. Cardinals roster might be pushing them into a new roster building direction. I've heard a lot over the last couple of days here on the station, morning show, afternoon show, a bunch of different people saying, hey, what's the difference between the Cardinals and the Cubs? What's the difference between the Cardinals and the Brewers? What's the difference between this year's Cardinals and last year's Cardinals? Most of the pieces are basically the same. Why does the product look so much different? We'll get into some of our findings from the numbers coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, I think it's frustrating, and uh, I certainly understand how the fans are looking at this, uh, the front office, ownership, the manager, coaches. I mean, we all expected something different, and so to be playing like we are, it's, it's certainly depressing. Um, 
and you can you can define it a little bit in the sense of like obviously at the trading deadline we traded some some guys that were contributing away from this club um, and then we've also had a rash of injuries and so when you look at the current club we're running out there it's not how we envisioned it and you know it's, it's unfortunate we still have to play these games they still count and uh, you know hopefully we can find a, a, a stride that starts making sense for us Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was John Mozalock on Bally Sports Midwest yesterday talking about where the Cardinals are at right now and how difficult it has been for them to get through this portion of their schedule. They've lost 10 of their last 12 games. Alex, I don't want to focus on this recent stretch of baseball, though. We knew that after August 1st, things were going to look pretty bad for this team. They traded off a bunch of different assets, and that basically signaled to everybody, fans, the team, media like. We are done for the rest of this year. We're waving the white flag. This season does not matter for us. We are turning the page to 2024. Cool. No harm, no foul. We'll move on to 2024. But let's look back to August 1st, because that's when the trade deadline did take place. And at that point in time, the Cardinals were so bad, they decided to sell off all of those assets. At the deadline, they were 13 games under 500. They were 47 and 60. So things went horribly awry this year relative to expectations. And Alex, I've heard a lot of people ask something to the effect of, hey, why is it that the Cubs have taken such a step forward? Why is it that the Brewers are so much better than the Cardinals? A question that I would like to explore, why is it that the Cardinals were so much better last year with almost the exact same core group of players as this year than they are this year? At the deadline last year, the Cardinals were seven games above 500. At the deadline this year, there were 13 games below 500. Basically a difference of 20 games. That's not what you're looking for if you're the Cardinals. But the differences are pretty marginal. And what I mean by that is if you look at the, what they did in terms of the offense. Now, I'm not looking at the last 12 games. I want to make that very clear. What we just talked about with the offense going cold in August, that is not included in the numbers that I am about to give you. I'm talking about on August 1st. Why was the team so different on August 1st last year than it is on August 1st this year? Offense was basically the same. Same number of runs per game. All of the numbers are right in line with where they were a year ago. In fact, you could make an argument the offense has been somewhat better this year than it was on August 1st of last year. The pitching. If you look at just the ERAs, it's obviously significantly bloated this year compared to last year. They have given up an average of one run more per game this year than they did at that point last year. However, if you go underneath the hood a little bit, there are specific reasons as to why that is the case, because most of the pitchers are about the same. And if you remember, guys, early in the season last year, the Cardinals pitching like their rotation specifically, they were counting on Andre Pallante and Jordan Hicks. It's not as if we had these crazy great starters that we were watching on a night in night out basis. And then this year they all stunk. You can make an argument that their actual pitchers that were going out there starting wise were better early this season than they were last year. The difference was very clear. The defense dropped off a cliff. You went from last year having one of the top three defenses in Major League Baseball to this year having a bottom five defense in the sport. Last year, over the course of the season, your defense, according to defensive runs saved, saved you 67 runs. 67 runs, which basically means every other game you were saving a run by your defense. Well, there's half of the runs that are the difference between this time last year and this time this year. This year, you're a minus six. So you are costing yourself runs defensively this year. Last year, plus 67. It's a 73 run difference. If you look at the uh, the total runs allowed at August 1st of this year, you're at 540. Last year, 405. 
That's more than half. You cut off half of those that are the difference just by defense alone. Base running is another difference. Last year, you added five runs with base running. This year, you have subtracted seven runs with base running. I just got you a difference of about 75 runs from this year to last with defense and base running. Forget any of the offense. Forget any of the pitching. Just defense and base running. Alex, I bring all of that up to say this. Why is it that the Cardinals need to add more swing and miss? Why is it that you have to change your roster construction going into next year? It's because of what we just discussed. Your base running is not what it was. That is a personnel issue as much as it is a coaching issue. Your defense, not what it was. Jordan Walker going to be in right field? I think he's gotten better. He's still not what you had last year with Lars Nupar in right field. Your center field, it's been okay lately. It's not what it was with Harrison Bader. Left field, been fine. Tyler O'Neill, probably not going to be here next year. Whoever is out there, Donovan, Burleson, whoever, they're not what Tyler O'Neill was for you last year or what he was two years ago for you. So if you're going to have all of these different guys on your roster, Nolan Gorman at second base, you have to improve the swing and miss stuff to mask the fact that you do not have the defense behind them. Yeah, I mean, if you go position by position and talking about the weak spots for this team, you know, it got tightened up because of shortstop. Nolan Arenado got better. I think second base has improved, and I think Jordan Walker has improved, but it's still not good in right field. Your entire outfield concerns me right now, which makes sense that you're going swing and miss stuff because if you're putting balls in play, you don't have the speed and the skill of Harrison Bader to make what could be a double an easy out or make it a single. You don't have the gold glove that was Tyler O'Neill in terms of speed being able to cut balls off, and you don't have the consistency in right field that was Newt Barr and Carlson. Now you have three inconsistent positions that you're just not certain of. The bigger issue here also is you can't just fix this. You can't just say, well, let's go get a center fielder because there's not any available unless you're willing to trade some significant pieces. Let's go get a left fielder. Well, it seems like they're pretty solidified on the internal options with those outfield positions. So now you're going swing and miss stuff. My concern with the swing and miss stuff is one, you're not getting the right guy, which we've talked about. But two, your catching position. Can Wilson Contreras handle that? Because obviously they're very still concerned with him. Andrew Kisner's been getting a bulk of the work behind the plate. And if Andrew Kisner's getting a bulk of the work behind the plate next year, that means Wilson Contreras is solely a DH, which means you don't have the flexibility. The trickle-down effect is real for this Cardinals team. So you have to go get the right guys on the starting pitching front, but you also have to hope that Wilson Contreras improves. Yeah, I, I think Contreras, you hope you can work with him a little bit and just like, can you increase him like, a decimal point and whatever it is that you're working on. I don't think pop time necessarily, but like framing, for example, can you make him from like that 25th percentile or wherever he is to like 30th percentile? And you go, well, that's not a big change. That's a significant change for Wilson Contreras. And you've got Kisner that'll be behind the plate. I do think they probably do need to explore the possibility of a reunion with a Harrison Bader or look at a Kevin Kiermaier in the off season if they're not going to tie up all their money in the rotation, which is what makes this so difficult because they do need to improve defensively in center field. And I think by doing that, you improve in left field by pushing Lars Newtbar there too, if you're able to do it. And you kind of live with hoping that Jordan Walker can grow. And then on the infield, I think you're ultimately going to be fine on the infield defensively. It was a weird start to the year for Arnado dealing with arm fatigue, dealing with injuries. Like I don't expect that to be a major issue moving forward at shortstop you're going to be fine with Mason Wynn. We've seen his range. His range is going to be a guy that's going to be a plus defender. Yeah, better defensively at shortstop. Yeah, and with his arm, he'll be better too. And then second base, like Gorman, I think Gorman's been fine this year. I, I think his 
I think his range is better, but he's just going to be average. Of course, Goldschmidt, Gold Glove. So like, I can see where the defense can improve on this team going but into this year. That's an average year. defense. What you just mentioned there, that's all average. Like, you're no longer top three in Major League Baseball. You are no. Your defense is no longer a selling point. Your offense is what you sell. I think that, you can be. You correct me if you're right, and maybe this isn't a big enough difference for you. I think you can be a top 10 defense if you improve in center field. I don't think it will ever be to the – maybe not ever. I don't think next year you have any chance to get anywhere close to where you were two years ago. I don't think you have any chance of next year being where you were last year. You were a plus 67 defensive run save next year. Could you be like a plus 10 next year? Yeah, I could see that. Or you're a slightly above average defense relative to league average. But are you going to be good? Are you going to be at a place where your defense is a – you get to the playoffs and the – National analysts are coming on the TV. A couple of years ago, they were like, hey, this Cardinals defense, if they end up going on a run here, that's going to be the thing that carries them. No, you have no chance of being that because you just don't have the personnel for it. And that's okay, guys. We can get through with that. Like, look at the Phillies, man. Their defense isn't good. The Braves, people talk about specific players on their roster that are good defensively. Overall, they're, they're just okay defensively for the most part. There's nothing wrong with that because they've got Spencer Strider. They've got Charlie Morton. When he's healthy, they've got Max Freed. They've got swing and miss stuff from their rotation, which means the ball's just put in play less. And when it's put in play, fewer opportunities means fewer opportunities for your guys behind them to make make mistakes, right? If I've got somebody um, on a basketball team that's a really bad shooter, if I just put him underneath the basket all day long, a big man that's going to be put underneath the basket, I just give him less opportunities to screw up as a shooter. If I'm going to be a football team, right, and my team is just terrible defensively, how do I mask that as a head coach? Well, I make sure to play ball control. I'm going to have my offense grind out this game so there are fewer possessions against my defense. That's basically what the Cardinals need to do next year. How do you grind out the game so that way you've got fewer opportunities defensively? We get swing and miss stuff. That's the way that you mask your deficiency. That's the way that you make sure that going into next year – these issues, if they do arise again, if you've got some injuries or whatever, that's how you make sure that you're able to overcome them. We also have something on the text line. Somebody said this from the 314. Guys, the best way to fix this issue is if you stop playing musical chairs with your position players. The Cardinals are not going to be doing that as much next year. I'm pretty confident of that. Yeah, all the positions are pretty stated for with the exception of the outfield spots. Exactly. And even then, like, I feel New Park's going to be out there. Walker's going to be out there. It's yeah. just one position. And I think that's probably Donovan, Donovan or Burleson. Or if like you're going Edmund in center field, then you lock him into that spot. I think people honestly overstated it a little bit this year. It was done out of necessity. The Cardinals did the same thing last year. People loved the fact that Brendan Donovan had the ability to play everywhere. The difference was they got hurt. They had to bring up like Taylor Motter. He can play anywhere, so he just plugged him in. It was just bad players that were out there. That was your problem. You didn't have quality players. Next year going into the season, we know who the infield is. Goldie, Gorman, Arenado, win. That's your infield. In the outfield, we should know going into opening day who your starting three are. Now, it's gonna, they're going to mix and match out there depending on what the matchups are and stuff. But I hear people bringing up the Atlanta Braves as if the Cardinals don't do the same thing. Guys, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado start every single game for this team, basically. They get like one off day every two weeks. Is that too much for guys that are their age? I, I don't think it is. I think it's fine. It's probably not enough, honestly. Yeah, I was sure. Look at Goldie's numbers mm-hmm. dropping. I, I think this team is okay when it comes to how often they play their dudes. 
The difference is, yeah, Ozzy Albies is going to play every day because he's 30% above league average and is a gold glover. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to play every day because the guy is maybe the MVP of the National League. Same thing for Matt Olson. Same thing for Austin Riley. Of course those guys are going to play every day. If the Cardinals start getting that out of uh, Jordan Walker next year, if he's an above average defender, he's going to play every single day out there. If you start getting next year Mason Wynn batting league average, and he's playing gold glove defense at short, guess what? He's going to start playing every single day. This year, they didn't have those options for mm-hmm. them. And they had a bunch of dudes that ended up getting hurt, and that's where you get to where you're, where uh, where they ultimately were. But they just didn't have the guys. Yeah, they didn't have the guys. And when like when you look at the outfield, too, I, and I think this was part early on. Like I think in the first month, it was, okay, we need someone to take off and run with the job. Because you were balancing five outfielders on this roster at one point, where it was O'Neal Carlson, Newbar Walker, and I think Burleson was up here at the time, yeah. too. I think at that time, maybe there was something to, okay, they're rotating guys in and out too much. They're not allowing for playing time. Well, part of the reason they weren't allowing for playing time was no outfitter took the job and ran with it. Like, Jordan Walker did it early on, but then he started to get cold, and there was just nobody there. And to your point, then you have injuries that come up with Tyler O'Neill, and then you got to start bringing up guys like Oscar Mercado that's on the team, Taylor Motter, who even with injuries shouldn't be on the team. But... That's where the issues have gone for the St. Louis Cardinals. I feel pretty confident they're probably going to have eight spots solidified going into next year, and the only ones that are going to be rotating in and out are potentially center field slash left field and then the DH spot. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we get to talk about the fun team in town. We got City? some bold predictions. Oh, oh that's a good point. City's wow. fun, too. Second wow. fun team in town. We'll get to them coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We did get a little bit of insight yesterday into what went wrong with Klaus. And suddenly it makes a lot of sense as to why he was out for like six months. So we'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But Jeremy Rutherford put out his piece yesterday on the bold predictions that he's going to make for the 2023 St. Louis Blues. Which of these is most likely to happen, Alex? We'll get to it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The most likely of Jeremy Rutherford's bold predictions to come true in 2023. That's what I want to discuss with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, yesterday he put out his annual piece of the the bold predictions that he's got. The 10 bold predictions heading, heading into the upcoming season. Here were four that I found to be really interesting. You tell me which of these you think is most likely, Alex. Jordan Cairo is going to score 45 goals. Love that one. Jake Neighbors will be, be a, a minus sec- 80. <laughs> didn't, he, he did talk about how it might be a little difficult for him to do if he's not getting the ice time because he's a negative. <laughs> Jake Neighbors is a second line forward. Scott Perunovich plays 70 games or 
Jordan Bennington, I wonder which one he's going to pick, is going to have a 915 save percentage. Those were four of his 10 bold predictions for this season. Of those four, which do you think is most likely, Alex? Uh, you're expecting me to pick Bennington, and I can't pick Bennington, not because I don't think he could post a 915 save percentage, but because that defense is not going to provide him the ability to post a 915 save percentage. So out of those two, frankly, the one that I had ready to use wasn't any of those four. The one that I thought was most likely to happen was Kevin Hayes, uh, fixing the chemistry issue with this team. Yeah, well, that's great. Which of these four would you choose? What do you mean that's great? That's what needs to happen for this team. I'd pick the Kyrou 45 goals. Oh, yeah. yeah. Welcome aboard, uh, buddy. Uh, here's the thing. I don't think Jake Neighbors plays on the second line. I think Jake Neighbors is going to be a third-line player for you with some second-line time. But in JR's piece, he made it pretty evident that he thinks he'll be a consistent second-line player. Maybe he gets there. I- I'm not there with him yet. I still think there's some learning to be shown and frankly I don't think it's a bad idea if neighbors and Shan or neighbors and Hayes are a third line pair for you um, the Bennington one I mentioned I just don't see that happening Perunovic maybe I'm shocked by that what the Bennington you one? changed man no see but again I think Bennington <sighs> could post him a realist I, I like it I think Bennington could post 915 or better I think the defense in front of him is going to be the reason he won't be posting a 915 or better because right. you're not going to be allowing a lot of shots but you're also not going to be stopping them when their back door happens the other one was Perunovic. I don't also think hasn't had a 915 save percentage since 2019 but that's neither here is that the that. the 2018 19 or 2019 20 no 18 19 okay yeah, it's the only say, time in his career he's had an above uh, the All Star season. It was closer to it was like what, like a nine twelve? Okay, semantics, um, but still not there. Pretty, I mean, nine twelve, nine fifteen. You say you like three do. more shots that you're. You say tomato, I say red circle. Perunovic isn't going to get there because of the amount of guys that you're trying to work with. I think Perunovic is going to start in the minors and then get a shot when injuries pop up. Kairu's the obvious one because despite Kairu's flaws on the defensive side, his ice time isn't going to diminish. I mean. You need him to perform and fix his defensive issues while being offensively better than what he was. So if he is a liability on the ice, I can understand the sentiments of, well, he's not going to be put out there. He will because he's their number one guy. And Craig Berube is going to say, you're our guy. Go out and figure it out. And I think Kairou is going to improve on the defensive side. But I also believe that Kairou is dynamic enough to be a 45 goal scorer. So that's the one I would say is most likely. Although Hayes was mine. I I agree in terms of the Kairou one. I I think 45 goals is the one that's most likely to happen. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if the other three do. I I think I would all put them at a tie for fourth place. Um, Because Kairou has the offensive ability to score 45 goals. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And I think they're going to be willing to give him more ice time and just hope, as Alex said, that the defense has improved and will improve as time goes along. But I look at, like, neighbors consistently on the second line. I think there's going to be spurts where he's on the second line. I don't see it consistently. I think he's a third, fourth liner. Can I make the case liner. for that? Over, sure. over Verana and Kapanen. On the left side. Over On the what? I, I think that Jake Neighbors can be your second line left winger. Why can't that happen? If I've got Verana and Kapanen on the right side, I've got Brandon Saad as one of my left wingers, Pavel Buchnevich as my top line left winger. Why can't Jake Neighbors be the second line left winger? Because he didn't show me enough last year that he gets that opportunity. So I agree with you to start out the Verana, season. Verana, Kapanen, he, and Saad all should be in that spot. Totally agree with you to start the year. But by like the second month of the season, do I think it's possible, maybe even likely, that Neighbors can earn that role? Yeah, I, I really do. I think that... Like, Jake Neighbors can play with anybody. And this is one of the things that I think brings him some value. I don't think it should be a shock to anybody if Jake Neighbors is playing with Robert Thomas by the end of the season. I think that sounds crazy right now. However, 
if you end up getting to the end of the season and you say, hey, what do we like with Robert Thomas? We want a shooter and we want somebody that goes to the front of the net and creates space. Who is the guy on this team most likely to go to the front of the net and create space among your current wingers? Sammy Blay. That is going to be playing in a top nine role. I, honestly, if you were to tell me one of the two by the end of the season, I'd say Sammy Blay has more top nine time than Jake Neighbors, or top six time than Jake Neighbors. Hot damn, all right. That's a good take. I, I mean, like, you saw his goal production. He played well in that tournament that they did in the offseason where he and Neighbors were, are on that line together. Sammy Blay might start on the fourth line, but if Sammy Blay is shooting the puck, and I don't expect him to have that same production that he did last year, but if Sammy Blay is shooting the puck, he hits everything in sight, and he has a big enough body to go to the front of the net. I would be more inclined to put a Sammy Blay in a top six role than Jake Neighbors, just because I still think there's some learning pieces for Jake Neighbors to get to. I agree with you for what it's worth. I My bet would be Jake Neighbors is not a top six player. However, if I'm coming up with a case for it, it's the way that they like to be able to put these lines together. And I also think that there's a case to be made that you want to you want to break up that Booch, Thomas, and Kyrou. Yeah, line. that won't be a line all season long. Because if you have all three of those guys together, I do think you lose a little bit in your middle six. I think that it makes you a little more, a little lighter in your middle six in terms of the overall play play quality with those groups. So if you could have like neighbors, Thomas, Kyrou, Booch, Shin, Verana, Sod, Hayes, Kapanen. I could see something like that working out all right for you. The issue with that or is put play in one of those spots. That you I have to there. have somebody who can be defensively efficient with Thomas and Cairo. And if it's not Booch, because I'm with you, I don't think you can have Booch playing with Thomas and Cairo. Yeah. I think you need to spread the wealth offensively. That's where Saad comes into play. Because sure. unless Neighbors improves defensively, unless Verana improves, maybe Kapanen gets a shot there. I don't see it. Saad is going to be the more likely one to be getting that, which means Booch is going to drop down to play with Shen on the second line, and you're going to want Verana up in that spot. So the hard part for neighbors, and I think if he continues to grow the way they're wanting him to, I do believe by the end of the season, if not next year, he's a top six winger for you. But right now, I still think that there are guys who have outperformed him, and they're going to view this as let's get a little bit more Let's get a little bit more training wheels on Jake Neighbors so we can get him to that level. I just remember back to the early portion of last season where they were trying to figure out what to do with that top line with Ryan O'Reilly. And obviously, this top line is much different. Than Josh Levo! Who's the closest Boy, comparison to Josh experiment. Levo on this team? It's it's Jake Neighbors. Now, Jake Neighbors is obviously way more skilled than Josh Levo was. But Whoa. I do think that that is something worth considering is the way that they like to construct this roster, the way that they like to construct the lines individually. I could see Jake neighbors end up playing up. So if I was going to make a case for any of these to be the most likely, I actually do think it's Jake neighbors as a second line winger. Is it fair? Or maybe even a top line winger. I might even go a step further. The only way that happens is if he starts shooting Tuesday, he needs to start switching with Alex. It sounded like Logan Brown right now. He needs to shoot the puck more. That's the only way he's going to get that opportunity. I I think it's defense. I think the better that he is defensively, the more likely he is to That's get in the play the with Thomas six. and Cairo. Right. If you're playing on that second line, I think you need to be shooting the puck more. Who's your second line? Second line would be a, like a, a boot Shen neighbors. And then you're going to put a but sod or somebody up there with Thomas Boots and Cairo. in that top line with Thomas and Cairo. Mm-hmm. So then it would you got Shin and who is the third winger? It depends on what you want there. If you're going to put a Verona there, then I'm going to put a sod on that line. If I'm going to put a neighbors up there because neighbors is shooting the puck a lot more, I'll probably put myself a Kapanen or see, that's where I was going to go. The opposite was I could see a case for neighbors, Shin, Verona, 
where in that scenario, I don't need neighbors to shoot a ton. I need Verona to be the shooter on that line. I need neighbors and Shin to be responsible players that can get the puck to Verona. Yeah. And in this scenario, Braden Shin no longer has to go to the net as much, which keeps him a little healthier over the course of the season and allows him to be more of a distributor and a playmaker as well. So I, I think neighbors is like one of the most fungible pieces in this lineup if he becomes a capable defensive minded forward. I'm fast the biggest thing that has to be there for him. I'm fascinated to see what he looks like at training camp though, because from what I understand, he put on a little bit more weight. He's healed up more because remember he still had the lingering effects from his uh juniors season that was in last year and he really never recovered from it. So I can absolutely see it. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Jake Neighbors in the terms of if this guy becomes a shooter and is defensive reliable, he can be up there. The problem for him is he's going to have Kapanen and Verona to deal with because I best case scenario, Saad's playing on your third line and never moves from it. Three one four three nine 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 six four six. Sorry, T Bone. We've got to get to questions and answers coming up next here on one hundred and one ESPN. <laughs> this show. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions for the show, start with this from the 314. Guys, did you see what Klaus had to say yesterday about his injury and why he was out for so long? T-Bone, have you seen this? Yeah. Starting to make a lot more sense, boys. What was his leg dangling off of his hip? More or less. So he didn't have a quad injury necessarily. The injury was in his quad region. But it was a tendon issue. Ooh. This reminds me a lot of what we saw from Kawhi Leonard in the yep. NBA. When I saw, when I heard this immediately, I was like, "Oh boy, I've yeah, that's why you've been gone for I've a while." I've heard this injury before, and it was Kawhi Leonard, and he basically missed an entire season because of it. And when he came back, he really hasn't been the same since in terms of the the health status. He's been a really good player, don't get me wrong, but his health has always been a question. I hope Klaus is able to overcome this, man. This is a brutal injury. And you just never know how a player is going to be able to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he can come back from it. And they're going to take it easy on him. I mean, he came off the bench in the game again, or he was on the bench in the game against Orlando. Like, it's going to be a slow progression to see how Klaus feels. And my guess is, like, he's probably not going to play because I know in the final stretch of the year, they've got a lot of those where they play on Saturday, play on Wednesday, play on Saturday. He's probably not going to play on a lot of Wednesdays because of that. Yeah, I I think the fact that there are at least – Slow playing it now is a good sign because, like you mentioned, I, it wouldn't have surprised me with the news that we found out about this if we didn't see him at all the rest of the season. Yeah. I, I think we'll see him, but I do wonder. It's going to be a limited capacity the entire season, I think. Yeah. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, who do you think is going to win the National League MVP this year? This is going to be a fun race down the stretch. Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna Jr., Did you guys see that Ronald Acuna Jr. is now, I think it's one home run away from a 30-60 season, which has never happened in Major League Baseball. 30 home runs, 60 stolen bases in one season. And as of today, he is no longer the betting favorite to win the National League MVP. Mookie Mookie Betts Betts is having an incredible season that I don't feel like enough people are talking about. Probably because the Dodgers just aren't that juggernaut that they used to be, which they still are. He started out a little slow, too. 
which I think played into it. He's unstoppable now. Dude, he has a 600 slugging percentage on the season. Yeah. The only player in Major League Baseball with a higher slugging percentage this year than Mookie Betts is Shohei Otani. That's it. It's He's, rare to be on a team with Freddie Friedman and be a better hitter than him. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's when you look at what the Dodgers and specifically what the uh, Braves have. I mean, it's three of the top 10 hitters in Major League Baseball on each of those teams. Who, who would have thought that when the Braves basically moved on from Freddie Freeman, that they were still going to be successful? Like that was the ultimate win-win move. You moved on from yep. a legacy player and you brought in a guy who is a hometown player who now is a legacy player if for your team. If they could do it all over again, do you think they do it the same way? Yeah. Yeah. Because Olsen's younger, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I and I mean, hell, he's over. performing just like him. And he's on a great contract, yeah. too, that they signed him to. I mean, that's that's the rare win-wins when you move on from a significant piece of your team and the like Dodgers that. figured it out, too. I mean, they, yeah. they ended up getting an excellent player in Freddie Freeman. Yeah, I, I think Acuna still wins the I NL do MVP. I, I don't do? know. Yeah, I don't know how you don't vote for a guy that's going to hit above 300. Right now, 335. Probably be on base over 400% of the time. Slug over probably 560 is what he's going to finish. Have a 900 OPS. And I think the difference maker for him, because I think him, Betts, and Freeman are all kind of the same right now offensively, how I view them. I think the difference maker is the stolen bases. I mean, when you steal 61 bags, and he's probably going to finish 70-75. Hasn't he played every game, too? Yeah. yeah he's That's the other part. That's the other part. I, like, I don't know how you don't vote for him. He scored 119 runs. Guys, it's not even September yet. Like, well, Mookie scored September. 110, for what it's worth, and has driven in 95. But how many stolen bases? Uh, 10. <laughs> yeah, difference maker. I, I think Acuna wins MVP, I and I think too. I think if Betts or Freeman win it, I think Acuna got robbed. Anytime a player makes does something Strong. that has never happened in a single season, yeah, he's probably going to be your MVP. <laughs> That's kind of how I... So, I felt like last year... I, I think Shohei should, should have won the MVP last year. I still believe that to be true. I, I think that, that we made a mistake by making up a home run chase for Aaron Judge because he played for the Yankees. And then we're like, hey, he's got to win the MVP because of that. I think Shohei was the most valuable player last year. And I feel the same way this year about Ronald Acuna. I'm not as strong with it as T-Bone. I think that both have a real case between Mookie and Acuna. But I would vote for Acuna because I do value the stolen bases. I, and I think the thing that helped Judge, and it's why I probably would have voted for him for MVP, you take Otani out of the Angels lineup, what are the Angels? But I think this they're still bad. I, I'm not doing it based on their team. Isn't I'm, that, I'm just, trying to find the most valuable player. Isn't that and, the whole reason of an MVP, though? Like, if you take them off your team, your your team is bad? That's the way I view it. That's but, how I do it. But, yeah, I'm, but like, I, you take Judge off that Yankees team, that Yankees team's not in the playoffs. What do I do with the Braves, though? Like, if, if I take... I think the Dodgers are worse without Mookie than the Braves are without Ronald Acuna. I saw the Braves win the World Series two years ago without Ronald Acuna. That core is amazing. So if I'm doing it by that, I would actually vote for Mookie Betts. I don't do it that way. I do He's it. Right. Of, who was the best player? If you had the best season and you were the best player in Major League Baseball, you're my MVP. Because if you're the best player, you're the most valuable. That's that would be the best player or not the most valuable. Coming player. up next. He's also the... right. Yeah, thank you. I'm very, I'm very torn right now. You guys make great, great arguments. Thanks, man. Not Glad you. to hear it. Not you. Okay, fair. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of better to forget it. If you guys want to get involved in that, feel free to do so on the text line at 314-399-9646. You can also find us on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. But coming up next, we got the full Blake, Blake Snell experience yesterday against the Cardinals lineup. How would you feel about watching that regularly in the Cardinals rotation? I think we've got some differing perspectives on that, and we'll give them to you next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take a look at Blake Snell buying for that Cy Young. Well, it's time to keep rolling here in St. Louis. It's show me, State. Show us what you got. Snell had the Marlins at three runs over six innings on Tuesday, but took the loss. And a swing and a miss and a pitch in the dirt. He strikes out. First strikeout of the night for Blake Snell. Swing and a miss, and he struck him out. That's the fourth strikeout for Blake Snell. Always seems to get one when he needs one, and he needed one right there. Two down. Oh, that's the Blake Snell we know and love right there. This might be the best opportunity in a ball game you're going to get off of Blake Snell. Can you sneak something through again? Now there are two outs in the inning for Walker, who has one of the two Cardinal hits. Swing and a miss. He struck him out and gets out of the bases. Loaded jam and again. Works his way around two walks in the inning. Overall, um, to your point, he was in and out of the zone. We knew that going into this game, but we couldn't cash in any runs, even when we drew some walks. That audio courtesy of both the Padres TV network and Valley Sports Midwest. The voice you heard at the end there, of course, is Ollie Marmel alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. We got the full Blake Snell experience yesterday, and I'm glad we did, honestly, because we got to see what it's like on a regular basis to watch Blake Snell. What you saw yesterday is who he's been all season long. He has allowed the fewest hits per nine innings this season. He has the most wild pitches of any pitcher in the Major League Baseball this season, but he also leads the league in walks. If you're looking for, like, the three true outcomes of pitchers, it's basically Blake Snell. Now, he doesn't give up a ton of home runs, so that's important to categorize there, but very few very few hits whole lot of walks, a lot of wild pitches, and he finds a way to get out of jams because of the swing and miss stuff that he has, Alex. When you were watching last night and you thought to yourself, all right, I'm handing this guy 25 to $30 million on a five-plus year basis. Are you feeling good about the guy that you watched last night giving him all of that money? Because the results are great when they go this way. No, I feel like I watched the movie Final Destination 3. Have you ever seen that one where everything kind of you're trying to cheat death and like the the bolts come out of a roller coaster? I feel like I just watched what was that your film worst, like scenario that they were developed in Final Destination. Oh, it was the roller coaster. Uh, see, mine was the uh I don't have a whole lot of experience of this, but the tanning salon thing where they oh, got yeah, stuck in yeah. it. I was going to say, I don't like, do that. Oh, that one or the, the bridge. The idea of burning alive inside of a yeah. tanning bed does not sound That fun. one or the bridge. Every time I cross a bridge, I think of that film mm. when the bridge collapses. But what I'm saying is Blake Snell. know what we're referencing? Have you ever I seen this the movies? movie, but okay. I've not watched it. Oh, it's phenomenal. Oh, but no, it's horrifying. What I'm saying is the experience I had, like, this is me watching that film and then going on a roller coaster that next night. That's Blake Snell. It's exciting as all hell because I'm looking forward to this ride, man. I know I'm going to get strikeouts. I know I'm going to get a dude who could be in Cy Young consideration every year. But, man, when those bolts come out of the roller coaster and I'm going down that first hill, I'm probably going to die. And that's what I feel like with Blake Snell because when that bolt comes out and this dude's walking the world or his pitch count gets super high, it's probably going to go real bad for me. Somebody mentioned the logging truck. That's what I feel like watching uh, Blake Snell. I feel like the logs are about to fall out of the truck, and I'm just in the car behind it trying to avoid them. <laughs> it's like right. Frogger in a car. <laughs> yeah. It's like, see how many of these I can avoid. But like, Blake- and this year he's avoided them, by the way. Yeah. He's found a way to, like, he's Frogger going across the road, and he has not hit any of the trucks. Yeah. But you know, at any it's time, 
He's going to hit a truck. He's going to die. Whereas Aaron Nola, like, if it falls apart, at least I know he's still going to give me six or seven innings, and he's going to be competitive. But when Blake Snell goes, I don't know what's going to happen. I love watching Blake Snell pitch because I love strikeouts, and I want that on my team. But man, handing the, the, the keys over to this guy and saying, you are going to be our ace for the next five years, that is one wild ride that I'm just not sure I want because I don't think I can get off of it. It's a forbidden fruit. You know it's poisonous, but you gotta be you gotta go out there and take a bite anyways. That's who Blake Snell Plenty is. Plenty of those in high school, am I right, T Bone? T Bone, yeah, I know you yeah. are all about slug baby slug. <laughs> You're all about swing and miss. You love the idea of bringing in somebody that can change the look of the rotation. Well, I don't think there's anybody in all of Major League Baseball, free agent or otherwise, that changes the look of the Cardinals rotation more than Blake Snell. He's he misses bats on a rate unlike just about anybody in the sport. But that also includes a whole hell of a lot of walks. The ball doesn't really get in play against him. When you watched last night and you saw Snell, and really you take into account what he's been all season long as well. Your thoughts about that player profiling here in St. Louis were what? I felt like a free diver, you know, where I, I watch him and I go, man, that looks terrifying. But man, I'm in for the adrenaline rush because that swing of his stuff's until legitimate. you realize your parachute's not in the backpack. Well, no, that's a different free diver. But um, <laughs> I was thinking the one underwater, kind of what Mo's going to be doing this offseason. Hey, um, but you'll no, release I, the kraken. I I don't know if I would give him a five six year deal. I, I'm just going to say that up front. I don't think I would because I he's one of those guys that when his stuff does go, he has the chance to be one of the worst pitchers in baseball. Um, this so, could be the Corbin deal. Yeah, exactly. It could end up looking a lot like That's the Corbin a really deal. Good comp. Um, but what I, if if I were the Cardinals, what I would do is, would you would you be open minded to coming here? We'll give you more money and we'll give you three years. Yes, that's what I would be open to doing. Sure. And it, it, I I would do that if it's a shorter term deal like and a it costs three year deal, forty million a year. Probably a little less than that, but something in that ball range. I don't think he's uh, signing yeah, I was less. Say. I I think if it's like three years, thirty five to thirty eight, I would. But if be I'm Blake Snell, it. why would I do that when I can get thirty for five or six? And I know far. I'm going to break at some point, so I want security. So give me five years again. I because I don't think I don't even know if, I, if it's that if that's the price for three years, then it's okay. We're walking away from the table. Really. Yeah, it, it can't be more than forty. Would I don't. Have... I wouldn't do that. By the way, because I still, I'm still handing him the keys to be my ace and forty million dollars. You talk about tying up your team in terms of moves that they can make. You're right. I would consider it because I care more about the term than I do the money. If I've got that flexibility that remains and. Two years. I, I've basically next year. I'm pretty confident Blake Snell's going to be good because we're we're watching what it looks like right now. I don't think that stu- the stuff is going to fall off a cliff immediately upon his arrival here in St. Louis. And then I've basically just got two more years where I kind of got to ride it out and cross my fingers and hope that everything goes well. I could see where that would work. I would even give him an opt out. Say, hey, three years, forty a year with an opt out after year two. I I would consider doing that as opposed to going out and giving like five or six years to one of the other top starters on the market. Here's, that being said, I don't think the Cardinals are doing it, so it's really a moot point. Here's the other reason why I wouldn't do it. Just ruin our fun. Yeah, that's true. Here's the other reason why Lies I wouldn't killed. do it. Wilson Contreras. Yeah, yeah. He's my but, catcher. Hold on. By the way, real I mentioned quick, this last I know, night, and I, I think it's a fair question. I saw it in the group Dude, text. you know how many past balls are going to yes. be happening with Wilson Contreras? You know who caught Blake Snell yesterday? Gary Bleepin Sanchez, yeah, who's and not did a you great defensive like? catcher. Yeah, it it's going to get worse. I, but I, I think I, I'm not like that's not a consideration for me. I, I'm not that concerned about. There's going to be so it, it is many, a consideration. For there's me. going to be so many walks and passed balls. I can't do that. I need somebody who's got better command with their stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's a consideration for me at least. I, the the 
I mean, Blake Snell's stuff is kind of like catching Jordan Hicks. And there were times where I didn't love the idea of Wilson Contreras catching Jordan Hicks. But Snell has more stuff that he's going to throw. I guess I should have said this. The reason I don't consider the catching spot a consideration when I sign Blake Snell, you know what what I do with Blake Snell on his starts then? I'm starting Andrew Kisner. Andrew Kisner becomes his personalized catcher. And I don't have an issue with doing that. Don't get angry. Well, I just find it ridiculous. We're going to point to the catcher spot when Gary Bleepin Sanchez was catching Blake Snell yesterday. I'll take Gary Bleepin Sanchez. Hopeful, if you can even call him that anymore, hopeful playoff team. I, I think when you look at the catcher position, I think you're, because I think it's going to be 50 50 next year. That's basically what it's become this year. I think you just put part of that 50% of starts for Kisner, he gets all of the Snell starts. And that's exactly what you would do if you bring in Blake Snell. So I think the top of the pitching market this year, I I actually think it's going to be Blake Snell. The more that I think about it, the more I think about what teams pay for in modern baseball, I don't think Aaron Nola is going to get the top pitching contract that's available this offseason because the velocity isn't there. The swing and miss is not to the same degree as a Blake Snell. People will bet on Snell the way that they did on Kevin Gossman, the way that they did on Robbie Ray, the way that we've seen on so many of these other pitchers that got $25 million per year or more. Nola, when you look at Nola compared to those guys in that top of the class, he just doesn't he doesn't match up with any of them. He's an innings eater. And those guys get more in like the 20 to 25 than the 25 to 30. I think Snell is in that 25 to $30 million range. As I was reading today on MLB.com, I think there's one other pitcher that's going to be in that category, even above Aaron Nola. And it is the guy that I think we get more texts on than anybody else. It's Yoshi Yamamoto. MLB.com wrote this about Yamamoto earlier today. Quote, he's expected to be posted this offseason by his team, adding another intriguing arm to the free agent market. He's 25 years old. He's won the MVP in each of the past two seasons. And scouts believe that he can immediately jump into a number one or number two spot in a big league rotation the way that Tanaka did with the Yankees nearly a decade ago. If and when he is posted, he will likely jump into the top five of the rankings of this year's free agent market, possibly even the top three. If he were to end up in the top three, that would put him above any other starting pitcher on this ranking of the top free agents available this offseason. Not named Shohei, and I'm not considering him a pitcher given the fact that he doesn't have a working elbow. Guys, if Yamamoto ends up getting $30 million a year on a seven-year contract, he's 25 years old, I think that's very much in play for him. Does that take the Cardinals out of that sweepstakes, or do you think that they would be interested in something like that because it doesn't come with a qualifying offer? Would you consider doing that over Snell at 5 and 25, 5 and 30, or Nola at 5 and 25? I mean, I'd, I'd have to have more information on if I feel like he really is going to translate well to the majors. And I know you're just going off of past success of certain guys. But if I'm putting myself in the Cardinals position, I absolutely would explore it because of his age. If I'm going to give Blake Snell or Aaron Nola five or more years to come here, if I can give a 25-year-old seven years, a lot of money, but seven years, that works out in my favor because I'm going to be getting the prime of his career. But again, that's where the information comes into play here because I got to know that this translates because once again, I'm handing the keys over to him to be my ace moving forward. And you have to be right if you do this, if you are doing it because he is taking your team back into the playoff run. And if he's not going to 
translate well to the majors or comes in and is probably at best a three, well, now you're in for a world of hurt because you're tied up for the next 30 years yeah. or seven years at $30 million. It feels that way. It does feel that way. It's like Final Destination, man. You're, you can't get off this roller coaster. I, I don't think it's something the Cardinals will do because it sounds like there's probably going to be a bidding war for him at the top of the market. And to, to the fact of the matter that, to your point of you know you got to be right, I think they're going to look for the more certainty route, and Nola's the more certainty route. Also, too, correct me if I'm wrong, if he's got to be posted, it also means you're not just paying the player, you got to pay the team to get him. It's a smaller fee than I think people suggest, but yes, it is something that will be taken into account. And I think like as much as we talk about the QO, that's also going to be part of the consideration for Yamamoto, and on top of the fact of the matter that there's 10 teams already scouting him. So it's a bidding war, plus not only on top of the bidding war, you got to pay the posting fee, and you don't know what he's going to be when he comes over, comes from overseas. So I, I think it's just more likely the Cardinals will look. I don't even think Blake Snell is the guy, but I think it is Noel that they would more likely look at. If he ends up being Tanaka, if we just say right now, that's that's who he profiles to be when he gets over to the big leagues. And uh, for those that didn't watch Tanaka while he was with the New York Yankees in the first five years of his major league career, the guy made 130 starts and had a 3-5 ERA. He was 20% above league average in terms of his effectiveness. If that's who he is... Are you giving that guy the five seven-year deal that he might be asking for, $200 million in terms of total money? Or is that something where you say to yourself, okay, that would have been a disappointment given the money that we were we had to give him? I think I would do it if I know that's what he's going to be because I'm also going up against... And he's 25. Aaron, that's a big part of this is that he is so much younger than anybody I, else in the market. I'm comping this to the other two options for me, and I think a, a Tanaka career... For that much money for that long compared to Snell, which is just a wild ride, and Nola, where you know it's going to decline, but it's probably going to center around that, I would probably do that. I would, too, if I know he's going to be Tanaka, because Tanaka was a guy that I would have trusted going into the playoffs for the year. He's your number one. And I love the fact that he's 25 years old, man. Mm -hmm. I, I know that there's less mileage on the arm. He's 25 years old. The back end of that deal will be what you start with for Nola or Snell. Snell is going to be 31 next year. Aaron Nola is 30 right now. Age is but a number. So the start of those contracts would be year six of the um, Yamamoto deal. So that that is something worth keeping in mind as to how the aging curve works for pitchers. Now, we've seen guys go late into their 30s now. That may be what Aaron Nola becomes, but it's a risk. It's a massive risk that you're going to be undertaking, and it comes with big-time money as well. Coming up next, better forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on 101 ESPN. Guys, let's start with this because we got a lot of text during that last segment. Guys, you're wasting your time. The Cardinals will not go get one of those starters, one of the big time starters that's on the free agent market. They're not going to spend that kind of money. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will go into next season with a number one starter that everybody believes is a capable number one starter on a major league team. That's funny because the one that I was going to use was better to forget if the Cardinals make the wrong decision in the offseason. But let's go with yours. Yours is more positive. I'm going to bet that one. 
and I'm not saying sign or like it could be anything. Just yeah. they somehow acquire a legitimate number one starter. The this pitcher on opening day next year, people will people will feel confident in as the number one starter. So I'm going to bet that one. I, I you don't have this bad of a season and just say, man, we'll kind of do what we usually do. I, I don't know if it's going to be Noel. I don't know if it's going to be Snell or if it's going to be Yamamoto. But from all of the reporting, it seems like the Cardinals recognize that it's going to have to be one of those three. And any of those three, I'll throw Urias's name in. I don't think that's going to happen. Any of those four names, to me, is a perfectly capable number one. Am I going to be nervous? Hell yes. But it's the one that I would say that they had to go get and they got. I'm going to forget it because I think no matter who they sign, there's going to be a big portion of the fan base that's not impressed with who they're going to go into the season with a number one. And to be fair, I don't even know who the heck a name would be, even if they traded for him, that they would look at and go, that's the number one for the St. Louis Cardinals. I think everybody's got the question marks. How do you think people would react if it's Nola? I think there'd be a portion of the fan base that would say that's number one, but I think there'd be some that look at it kind of like I would, where it's like you got to squint to see him as a one. He's a two. I think you're going to have a certain amount. I'm saying like a one or a two because I think it's, I don't know that there is a one available. Like Zach Wheeler's a one. I mean, he was available. (laughs) Spencer Strider's a one. I don't don't think there's a single number one starter that's going to be available this offseason. Like is Logan Gilbert a, I know. Is he a number one? I would consider him to be a number two as well. Number two. And I With an he, upside of number one. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to be available this offseason. Is Dylan Cease a one? No. I think he's a number two on a on a contending I think he's team. a Blake Snell. I think he can be a one. I think he's a Blake Snell. And it makes Why me nervous. Why do you think he's a number one, though? Just because he had one great season? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he finished I, second in Cy Young and had like a 2-2-1. Two, two, I mean, Aaron Nola did the same last year. Not... Not that, not two two one ERA. I mean, Cease's numbers were better than Nola. I, I, I mean, Blake Snell's doing higher it. wins above replacement last Blake year. Blake Snell's doing it right now. Or and what is it good for? He had a, he had a three two ERA in two hundred and five innings. Yeah, but look at Cease's numbers. Cease was better. Like I, I'm I won't listen to this blasphemy. Cease was better. Um, the reason why I bring it up though is just because like I. But to that point, I don't know that there is a one available because no, ones don't become I, available. I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair to say. The problem is, if you're the Cardinals, you laid this bed that you have to lay in now. Did I say that right? No. I don't think well, you the, always have to lay in the, the bed, bed that you lay in. This is the bed you have to lay in now because you've set yourself up this way. And no matter what, like you sign a Nola, you sign a Gray, like you got a bunch of two, you got two twos. That doesn't equal yeah, a but one. But the amount of people that you're saying are going to squint to see Nola as a number one. How can I criticize them for not getting a number one if not, no, no number ones are available? It's like saying my my team doesn't have a quarterback, and so I'm mad that they went out and got Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, who did you want? There weren't I, there weren't quarterbacks available. I'm not the one. I'm not the one saying that, but I think that's what the fan base is going to say. And I kind of understand I think it that's because unreasonable, I think part of the conversation though is the way the Cardinals set themselves up to this point, and they're setting themselves up to the point where even this off season they can't even get the one. Well, you're and not. You're I, never going to get a one. I think their ceiling is limited by not being able to acquire but one, if you even you, if it's not available this off season. The one you're hoping for is coming through your system. But go get somebody who can be a one for you. And that's Nola. And the people that are squinting to see Nola as a number one, I'm going to be squinting the exact same way to see Snell as a number one. And this is why I wanted to ask the question is because I I tried to say one or two, like a a front-end starter, a guy that would be considered by most reasonable humans to be a, that guy can start on opening day and you look at it and you say to yourself, yeah, we've got an opening day starter. Because there's some teams that can't say that, like, Kansas City Royals are starting like Brady Singer on opening day. That's nobody can convince you that he's a number one. He's not even a number two. Like he's a three to five somewhere in that range, probably closer to a four or five in most contending teams rotations. 
So the reason why I ask it is because I think if they sign Nola, if they trade for Cease, if they go get Snell, if even if they got Urias, I think you can convince yourself that's a legitimate number one or at least a front-end starter that can go into a playoff series and you feel pretty good about it. And I think they are going to get somebody like that, whether it's one of those guys that I just mentioned, Yamamoto, somebody in that range. So I'm going to bet it. I think they go out there and get a front-end starter this offseason. All right. I gave this scenario to Katie Wu yesterday of the Cardinals regretting not signing Montgomery over Michaelis. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals are a playoff team if they would have just traded for Sean Murphy. This past offseason? Mm-hmm. Forget it. They've got too many core issues with this team. I don't think any one player changes what we've seen this year. I do like where you're going there because I think part of what happened in the early portion of the season was the pitchers got so thrown off by Wilson Contreras and it just snowballed on them. I'm, I'm going to forget it too because I think there were just too many flaws in the rotation and in the bullpen. And like, though we criticize the offense now, which is 100% fair, you would be pulling out critical pieces to that offense. In fact, it's probably the two guys that are on the IL right now, and Newbar and Donovan, that go to Oakland in that deals or one of the two. So... I think the offense would be worse off. I don't know, worse off, but it would take a hit in terms of what you had. With and, Murphy? Yeah, and the pitching itself just was not going to be significantly better. I mean, you're missing a critical leadoff guy when you trade for a Sean Murphy. I'm not necessarily saying, like, Sean Murphy would be a bad addition. Sure. But what I'm saying is you put a piece of the core of this offense that's a left-handed bat. Yeah, I'm forgetting this one also. I think your pitching is better than what it is now, which makes you maybe a little bit closer to a playoff team. But I think your offense is asking for more help and frankly your outfield is going to still be a disaster so i'm gonna forget this one guys bet it or forget it someone that's in the six to ten range in the original college football playoff rankings will be a playoff team just to give you the list of those teams real quick usc penn state florida state clemson washington that's six through ten the question was what one of those teams will do one of those teams will get to the college football playoff and it's the top eight teams right Six to ten. So USC, oh, Penn State, Florida. State. Yeah, no, I, I did the list. Sorry. I'm going to say forget this one. I, I don't think so. I have no evidence to back this one up. I just think it's always pretty clear what your top four playoff teams are going to be, and I think that's going to be the same this upcoming year. See, I'm betting this because I think Clemson's a playoff team this year. Really? Yeah, I I love their quarterback. I I said this. It's not Uwe anymore, right? Last week, yeah, and that's why they're better. They don't have DJ Uwe Youngle. He's over in Oregon State, ruining that program. Uh, Oregon State um, then is a playoff team. I I love what they've got in uh, Klubenik. That is Klubenik. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, it's Klubenik. Yeah. I, I love him at quarterback. I, I think he showed spurts last year, and I think he's a guy that can help them this year. I I like him as a secret kind of, or not a secret, a uh, long shot Heisman guy if you're going to put money down looking for someone that's not going to be the favorite i i love i love Columbus to be a playoff team and like the original rankings like ohio state michigan we can essentially write off one of those i know they both got in last year very rare that that happens and i don't i don't think alabama's a playoff team this year i don't think usc's a playoff team at florida state i don't buy i was going to go with one of the pac-12 teams one of usc or washington usc would be the one that i would say gets in because of the quarterback exactly i think there is a chance that usc we talked about this yesterday where i'm skeptical of that defense being able to get them through the playoff i don't think that they're a team that can win a national championship but can they get 
to the playoff, maybe. Um, and I think the same thing is true of Washington. So I'll say I'm going to bet this because I think one of those Pac-12 teams will end up in the college football playoff this year. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, better to forget it. All other MLB teams not named the Cardinals would fan fire their manager after a season this disastrous. Oh, I I would bet this one. I'm going to forget it. There's a team that's having a similar season up in New York right now. They're not expected to fire Aaron Boone. There's He's a season. got a track record, though. Fair, but not a postseason success. I, I, I think if the Cardinals have not, wouldn't have fired Mike Schilt two years ago, I think Ollie would be gone by now. I think the fact that they just recently fired somebody, they're going to give it more grace period because you can't justify firing two coaches in three years. I agree with that. But I also think that teams are starting to show a little bit more grace to their managers. Buck Showalter agreed. He's got he's got more of a history than Ollie, but it's been a disaster of a season in New York. I think they know the team wasn't constructed properly. So we're not going to fire the manager to to solve a problem that we then create by trying to hire a new manager. Let's keep the manager around. We think they're pretty good. Let's fix the roster. I think the same thing is going to be true in San Diego this year. Disaster of a season. Bob Melvin's a good manager, man. So they're going to keep him around and they're going to try to construct the roster in a way that works next year. I think the same thing's true in St. Louis as well. So I'm going to forget this. I would forget it too because I kind of agree with what everything that BK just said. I, I do agree with your point though that if the Cardinals hadn't just fired Mike Schilt, Either Mike Schilt, if Mike Schilt was running this team, I think he'd be fired. Or if Ollie Marble Ollie, had yeah. the same tenure in that time frame combined with what Schilt's was, he'd be fired too. But it would be a terrible look right now. Can to anybody ties. be fired from their team this year that you would say, oh, you got to hire that guy? Uh, Bob Melvin. If they fire him, you'd say got to get I that guy. Bob Melvin's a really good manager, man. Um, one guy that I would consider, I don't, I don't think the Cardinals would do it. I like Alex Cora a lot. I think Alex oh, Cora is too. a really good manager. Um, I do not feel that way about Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone would not be somebody that I would immediately say. You said the name yesterday that uh, I would hire in a heartbeat. Who? Carlos Beltran. Oh, yeah. Because that that's that screams Alex. I, I would keep. Well. I want to make this clear though. I would keep Ollie. I, I think Ollie's a good manager. I do. I think that this year has gone to crap in front of him and. I don't think he has been as good of a manager this year as he was last year. I also think the circumstances have dictated that in a lot of ways as well. I don't think that the pieces were available for him to manage the way that he wants to, at least on the pitching side of things. And I think roster wise, there were too many pieces and not enough of them ended up performing early in the season. And it set everything back. I'm just very concerned. I know I'm alone in that though. I'm very concerned with the attitude of the team right now. Yeah. And I think that is my biggest flashing red lights with Ollie is like, hey, if you lose, and I understand it is a, an abysmal season, but you can't lose your team to this degree. I, I want to stick on that theme on the other side, Timo, and I want to hear what you have to say about that as well. Because I want to talk about a similarity between the Cardinals and the Padres going into this offseason. And really, all of the teams that we just referenced, the Yankees, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Padres, you could look at some of the other teams in the American League as well that have been disappointing. Cleveland, maybe Boston, all of these teams are going to go into the offseason and say, we got to change something. Maybe even just for change sake. How does that play into the Cardinals offseason decisions? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to the joke drawer here in just a little bit. I want to respond to something that was said about my 
my personal well-being, my abilities as a as a commissioner, all of this on the morning show. I didn't appreciate any of it, so I'll do a state of the the fantasy league address. I was going to defend you up until here in just a little bit. You made your comment at the open of the show, and now I'll be standing to the side. Whatever I feel like you I need to, to defend my honor. So we'll do that coming up here in just I, a little nobody bit. Nobody else will do it for you now. I don't think that Gary Batman slash Rob Manford slash Roger Goodell of fantasy football should be defended. That's fair. All right. So yeah. we were talking on the last segment about the Cardinals and where they where things stand for them. And we talked about the manager. And we put it in reference of the San Diego Padres, Bob Melvin. I think he's a really good manager. We were just doing this uh, in the break. T-Bone and I were kind of going back and forth on uh, on what we would do with Bob Melvin if he became available. Uh, the Padres have had a weird season, man. The Cardinals have had a bad season. The Padres have had a weird season. They are a plus 56 run differential this year, which means they've outscored their opponents by 56 runs on the season. Despite that, they're eight games below 500. I just went through every team over the last 15 years to try to find like a reference point for that. When was the last time we've seen anything approaching this? It was all the way back in 2009. The Toronto Blue Jays outscored their opponents by about 20 runs that season, finished with 75 wins on the year. The next year, they fired everybody, won 85 games, um, and were a better team. And then that was kind of the start of what we then became to know as the Toronto Blue Jays run in the mid-2010s. But that's where it all kind of started. I don't think the Padres are going to fire everybody because they view this as an outlier season. They think that they're going to be better next year. But T-Bone, you had something that you wanted to mention on this at the end of last segment. What did you have on the Cardinals with their manager and how it plays into all of this? Yeah, I, I just don't know if even if Melvin became available that I would hire him if I'm the St. Louis Cardinals. I know everybody wants an experienced and quote-unquote old-school manager. Melvin's Melvin's got experience. He's not an old-school manager. He runs by the numbers. But there's something about the reason that this hasn't come together in San Diego that just makes me feel uneasy that I wouldn't want to even pull the trigger on it Bob Melvin for uh, Ollie Marmol swap, if you would call it that, because th- that's a talented roster. And where we were going back and forth in between the break was maybe it's it's a roster that has, whether you want to call it, added guys with different personalities, different attitudes around the club in a Soto. A I think Tatis. it's a powder cake. I, I, I kind of agree, but I also think that's the part of the job of the managers to try balancing that, pulling that group together, trying to figure out how do we win as a team. Otherwise, I just don't know what all we're totally. Isn't that the job of the bench coach? Like, don't you bring the bench coach in to be the one that works with the team? I, I, think, think, it's, I think it's both. I think it's like a combined because effort. Because isn't the bench coach Schilt? I mean, I... No, in, he's in, the third, third base, base coach. coach. Okay. In theory, I actually do agree with T-Bone. Like, in theory, I do think that is the manager's job, is you've got to manage the personalities inside of your clubhouse. I do think there are times when your personalities <laughs> inside the clubhouse don't want to be managed. They don't want to have anybody that actually is able to be in charge well, yeah, of them. Think of the three people that we're talking about exactly. right now with that team. And I'm not suggesting that you can't win with any of those players. Obviously, those players have done a lot of winning. Manny Machado won with the uh, with the Dodgers. We've seen Juan Soto win a World Series. Now, Fernando Tatis Jr. is kind of the outlier in that regard. He hasn't done a whole lot of winning, frankly, in his time with the San Diego Padres. That being said, I think when you put all three together inside of one clubhouse, I don't know if that's an easy thing to manage. I think Blake Snell, for all of the great things about him, I think he can be a little bit of a difficult player to manage at times. And I think that it's all gone to crap this year. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But I think we have a 20-year history of Bob Melvin being a really good manager, both with Oakland, with Arizona, and now in San Diego. And so I'm going to lean on that history as opposed to the one-year outlier season of him being really bad this year in uh, San Diego. 
So that that's why I do still view him as one of the better managers in the game, honestly. Despite all of that, we've seen that even with a really good manager, things can go sideways. And so I would just stick with Ollie Marmel because I do think that he can be and is, frankly, a good manager. That being said, things have to change here. And things have to change in San Diego. I think there will be a lot of people and maybe even inside of that clubhouse or inside of that front office that say, it didn't go well this year. We need change for change's sake. I think the same thing is going to be true this offseason in New York. I think the same both with the Mets and the Yankees. I think the Red Sox could convince themselves, hey, we need a change. The Guardians, we need a change. There might be different reasons for all of these things, but all of these teams end up in the same spot where they say, we have to change this offseason. And I think one positive, if you're a Cardinals fan that can come from that, is the trade wins could be a little stronger than they have been in recent years. The Marlins could look up and say, we can't compete with the Braves and the Phillies with just pitching. We got to get some better hitters in here. We got to find a way to compete. The Padres might look up and say, man, we had this great rotation, but it was so fragile because of injuries. And now we just lost Blake Snell. Maybe we should try to reconstruct this roster a little bit. The Yankees are going to try to try to find something that is creative to be able to get out of their current predictive predicament because they don't have a whole lot of options right now available to them on the market. White Sox, same thing. They got to change everything, dude. They got to tear that thing down to the studs. I think we're going to see a whole hell of a lot of trades this offseason, and that might be a good thing for St. Louis. Yeah, and that's where the nobody should be untouchable on this roster conversation comes into play because if there are teams making changes all around Major League Baseball, you need to be involved with all of those phone calls. Now, I'm not saying making deals, make five, six, seven deals, but what I'm saying is you need to be talking to everybody so that if the right guy becomes available, I don't think it's going to happen, but if the White Sox blow that up, if Luis Robert and Dylan Cease become available, you need to be making some phone calls rather than standing to the side and saying, well, we got a good core in place. Let's just go sign a starting pitcher and we'll be good to go. No, that might be... That might be a side issue on top of a bigger issue on your internal roster right now. So I'm going to be listening to everything taking place if I'm the Cardinals because teams are going to be changing, and that's a good thing for you. And they are the Cardinals are in the spot to where they can be a team that could benefit from this Absolutely. because of all the pieces they have. Granted, with that being said, if they run out the same untouchable list that we were hearing about the deadline, they're just going to be a team that's going to be sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else do the trades. They're going to be the fan watching all the boats sail by in these trade wins and not be a boat that's on the water making these trades happen. So that's where, to your point, I 100% agree with you. Again, I'm not trading a noop bar for like a, a woo or a no. someone like that. It's, it's going to have game to be changer. like a Dylan Cease becomes available, and then you become more involved in those trade conversations. And I, I think they can benefit from that. I'm fascinated to see what some of these teams do, especially a team like the Marlins, who have a ton of young pitching and are going to have to look to upgrade their offense. I don't know if Cleveland falls into this same category. They've got pitching, but I don't know if they have a guy like I pinpoint and go, I'd like him if you give up X. But they, I think some of the problem with the, the Cleveland guys is that they are so good and so young and so cost-controlled that it's going to cost you everything yeah. to, to get that any of like them. the Seattle problem. But even more so. like They're even better than some of the Seattle pitchers that we've talked about, not named Logan Gilbert, and they're so young and had prospect pedigree. And you know coming from that system, they're probably going to be good pitchers. Cleveland just at a... Kind of the way that the Cardinals do with position players. If you're a Cleveland pitcher, I'm pretty sure you're going to be good because they've done it with so many different dudes over the years. So I, I it's going to be hard to be able to find any of those guys that become available that you are willing to part with what's going to what it's going to take to get them. Yeah, and, and maybe too, like I just had a name pop in my head and I don't even 
I'd have to look and see what his contract status is. But maybe you do even target a guy that is on a contract that is viewed as bad on the books for a team. And the name that kind of popped into my mind, and they're not even a team in this conversation, is like a Hinjin Ryu with the Toronto Blue Jays. Something like that to where a team is looking that even as a contender. Or Alec Manoa from Toronto. Yeah, is even a contender. I thought about him the other that day. That is looking to just say, okay, can we reallocate this money somewhere? And maybe that's where the Cardinals get involved in trade conversations. I think you need to be involved in trade conversations for pitchers slash position players. I think if a team is willing to move on, that's why I bring up the White Sox. I don't think they will, but I don't know who's taking over. If they want to start this from scratch, if Luis Robert is available, you're making calls about it. Well, if Luis Robert is available, now you're talking Jordan Walker. That's what you're talking about with him. Are you willing to consider that? No, but maybe there are more pieces that I can give up in my system that doesn't include him. Yeah, I... I think they're they're saying give us the crown jewel of your system and that's the starting point. Yeah, and then we can talk from there. Um, I just don't think you should limit yourself to saying let's just get a pitcher that's available. Like yeah, get a pitcher if they're available, but you might need to shake some things up on the position player side if it hasn't been working with the group that you've got. Maybe it's time to shake it up See, a little I, bit. I don't think you need to go look for a position player. Center I don't think you need would be to the look. one spot that I would consider. I don't think Center you need field. to look. I think if something falls in your lap, do not just say, no, sure. we're good. Sure. I, that I guess I would agree. Like if another Goldie slash Arnado fell in your lap, yeah. I would be on board with that. But I don't what think. If, what if Jose Siri became available from the Tampa Bay race? Now, see, he's a guy like I, I would go. I could see that where you could target him because that is a. I agree with you. What you said. Center field is probably one that they should be exploring. So, like, that one I would say, yeah, okay. But, like, if it's like, oh, hey, we can go get a, another second baseman or we can go get a left fielder, I'd say, uh, why? I, center field is the only one that I say is a on the want list. I don't know if I'd put it on the need list, but it's definitely on the want list. And if a guy like that became available, yeah, I could target I don't him. think this guy would be available either, but I'll go back to because I brought him up in the past, Cattell Marte. I know he just signed and he's through 27 and Arizona's doing well right now. But do they decide to do something a little different if it doesn't go well for them at the end of the season? All of these are conversations the Cardinals have to have internally. Yeah, I'd be calling everybody saying, what's what's the deal? You moving somebody? Because what the Cardinals might do is they might trade some of their position player core and then go acquire more position players from another team. Like what you did at the deadline allows for some of that. Now you have pitching depth. You have infield depth, honestly, with Prado and uh, Segesi, who's been just crushing the baseball at double A. That guy needs to be called up to triple A soon. Um but with what those guys have done, you now can use them as trade assets as well. Or you can trade from your middle infield depth and continue to uh, filter or f- fill up from within. And those guys can become pieces that help your major league roster next year. So the teams around major league baseball that have been incredibly disappointing this year, I think they're all going to factor into what the Cardinals decide to do this offseason, whether it's via trade with those teams, those teams making trades elsewhere, the free agent market, all of those teams being interested in these free agent pitchers fascinating offseason for the Cardinals. The junk drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out seven days a week. I got to defend my honor. You'll be doing it yourself. T-Bone and I are staying silent. Some of the people on this station are ungrateful. And I just don't appreciate it, frankly. 
I tried putting together what I think is going to be something really fun for this station. Mm. Wasn't very fun last year. Well, last year I made some mistakes. I, I made some mistakes those. again this year, too. I had fun. I'll Remember the show yesterday? I'll fess up for it. Last year was not good. It was 32nd picks. People got frustrated with it. That was understandable. That was a bad job by me. I didn't know what this I did. This year, day of, he says, let's add two more people to an already stacked uh, fantasy league. First of all, everybody agreed to that. But we'll get to that here not in just Not everybody. A the morning show came on the air today. And all they did was whine and complain about how terrible this fantasy setup is. I'll go ahead and let you guys judge for yourselves. Take it or leave it, guys. We had our fantasy football draft last night. Uh, A little stressful. Take it or leave it. I don't like two quarterback leagues. That should be illegal. I'll I'll, I'll take it. Do you hear that, BK? BK, I know you're listening. listening. We're not giving him a break. BK BK is is our commissioner of our league. Last year, he made the the, the plunt. He made a terrible mistake of having the rounds 30 seconds. This this year, he went You don't think it was intentional, maybe? I I think it was Uh, an accident because everyone was stressed out. (laughs) There was more stress last year than there was this year. Two quarterback leagues, I still Stay away from trying to mm. get two quarterbacks because no, and that was another thing that stressed me out is it's a fourteen person league, and so I was watching. I had things in queue. Derrick Henry is on there, so they're complaining about two things: one, and that it's a it's not a two quarterback league. That's very specific. Let's be clear here: it's a super flex league, which means you can start two quarterbacks if you want to, or you can start another position if you want to miss out on points. By all means, start a running back in that super flex spot. But yes, it's a 14-team league because two people didn't respond to the text message and we decided to be inclusive. So Jackson and... No, we didn't decide to be inclusive. I you asked the decided. text and nobody else said no besides the two of you who hate everybody that's around. That's fair. I, I just like it. fun. At least you were honest and upfront about it. Yeah. You guys both said from the beginning, I don't want to have these two in the league. They messed up by not responding. Fair. No harm, no foul. If everybody else in the group text on this station said the same thing, we wouldn't have included them because then majority rules and I'll listen to what the group is saying. But nobody else did. Everybody else said, yeah, it's fine. Go ahead and let them in. We'll do the 14 teams. I said how many times before the league? Hey, I think that it would be good to do a super flex league because it makes quarterback more valuable. If you guys have a problem with that, if you don't want to do it, let me know and I'm happy to nix it. We do not have to do that. Nobody wants, nobody wants even brought it up as an issue. People said it sounds like it would be fun because we thought it was a 12 person leak when it became a 14 person oh, well, I, I asked if people wanted to add the two people yeah, well, look I'm this not, is on the league no, I'm not, not you two but the rest of the people that are complaining look, about it this is on you if you're upset I, about what happened I yesterday. can be upset about adding two last minute frankly I still am but yeah, well you got the number two overall pick so of yeah, course you're but, feeling good but hey man people are upset with their teams that's on them for being bad yeah, drafters look, not for me messing up because, with just that just I got the because Kerry got an F on his draft report card this morning damn <laughs> Not our he problem. He's you want to be calling out right now? Yeah. Ooh, hey, listen, God. man. Here's Car- my issue. Carrie's a little biased to the running backs, as I saw yes. running the draft yesterday. <laughs> well, you aren't, as I saw in the draft yesterday. Yeah. Here's my issue. Jackson complaining about the Superflex League. Did he, though? I've not heard yeah, audio he did, Jackson. according to the text line, and I'm going to take them for their word because they're very intelligent individuals, but Jackson was complaining about the league. That's where my issue comes I, into play. And you heard Rockio with that little snar comment in the back. The two guys that came in late have problems with the league. I, they just shouldn't have been in it. I, I do think we have Rob Manford as our commissioner. But so, oh, I will, su- I will I want- support our commissioner and not defend the morning show when it is, oh, 
I didn't like the super flex. Well, guess what? You could have said you didn't like it when he sent the group text. I said this a month ago. It's been a month of everybody knowing what the fantasy league was going to be. Somebody on the text line said, being a commissioner isn't this hard, BK. You've messed up in back-to-back drafts. How hard is it to not tell the others in the league that it's going to be super flex? Time for you to resign. I did. I told them a month ago, yeah. hey guys, I think that it would be smart for us to go to a super flex league because when you don't have that, the mo- the least important position on your roster in a typical fantasy league is quarterback because there is so much replacement value ab- available every week on the waiver wire. If you have 12 teams in your league, which at the time it was, and you have 12 starting quarterbacks, guys, there's going to be really good quarterbacks that are on the waiver wire every single week that people can just go and replace. When you've got a super flex league, it does become harder, which makes those quarterbacks more valuable. Hey, let's watch football on Sundays. What's the most important position in the sport? Quarterback. Running back. Oh. So I thought it would be more fun to do it more? that way. <laughs> and I, I asked value. if anybody wants to not do this, please just let me know. I'm not I'm not putting this in. I'm not Rob Manfred. I'm not unilaterally deciding this. But nobody said any anything about it. Nobody pushed back. And I then yesterday we got some pushback. I would have right, pushed cool. back on the super flex if we would have known 14, yeah, which is why I pushed is, back for the final two. So I get Carrie pushing back because of that big ol' F stamped on his report card yeah, this morning. Understandable. Brooke got an A-plus on her draft, according to Yahoo Fantasy. And Brooke had a good draft last night. Yeah. And she's the one bringing this up? Man. She's upset she got Derrick Henry, and I don't blame her. It's going to let you down. Yeah, well, did she get Derrick Henry? Mm-hmm. Man, that is a loss. Look, buddy, I would have defended you until you made your comments about me at the beginning of the show. You called uh, me secondary. <laughs> it was true, but fair. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylick. I'm sure Jeremy Rutherford would appreciate the way that we put our fantasy football. No, that's why league. he doesn't join them. He's going to join us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. He's Alex, that's T-Bone on BK. Happy to have Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues Insider for The Athletic, in studio what's with up, us boys? today. Jer, what's good, man? Nothing, nothing. Just uh, in the neighborhood, working next door. You guys uh, would never guess that I was at Potbelly. <laughs> That's what you were working? Your appetite? Uh, working on some stories, and I said, hey, I'm right next to these guys. I'll come in and, and jump on with you guys. How's it going? I haven't What's seen you in forever, Jerry. You look like a nice tan on. <laughs> look at you go. Enjoying summer How's vacation. Summer been? It's been good, yeah. 20th uh, wedding anniversary I celebrated with my oh, wife. We ran out to Vegas, saw Garth Brooks, and uh, spent a couple days out there. And What's your number one hotel when you go to Vegas? Not necessarily that you stay at, but your favorite. It's a very good question. Here's the answer, though. Spearmint Rhino. I'm just not a hotel guy. Like, you're hardly ever there, right? So you're out doing stuff. What's so, your favorite one to visit when yeah. you're there? Like, well, when I, you're walking through, going through the casino? You walk by Aria, you see Cosmo, you see those types of places. Generally, that's where I stay, but I'll just put me up at a Marriott. I don't care. <laughs> it's Vegas. Who as cares, As long as right? I can fall uh, on the bed at the end of the night. Who, right? are you, Sorry, go ahead, BK. Are you more of a show guy or gambling guy when you go out there? So a little, bit, a little bit of both, but more like uh, I've never really go out and see like the dancing shows or that type of thing, but we specifically went out there for Garth Brooks. That was sure. the reason. So it was like, let's, you know, 4,000 people at that Coliseum. And uh, it was was it a residency or was yeah. he just touring? Oh, yeah, so it's a residency there. there. I didn't know that. He's out there on the residency. So no. I don't see a ton of shows. Uh, and every time I go out there, gambling wise, you guys are the gamblers. I listen every day. Uh, but 
maybe I'll grab two hundo out of the ATM. I can't take any more. Like if that's you right. lose that, okay, that's enough. Oh yeah, that's that's not Vegas, man. Right. Two hundo is like what I walk <laughs> in the hotel with. I walk in and my wife's like, I'm gonna go check in the room. Be like, all right, I'll be here at the blackjack table. I said I've got two hundred on block. <laughs> right. And walk back to the room. What happened? I lost two hundred dollars already. I saw him, uh, who was it? Jackson was out in Vegas last week. He went to Circa. And I saw a video of him on TikTok, and he said, all right, I'm going to go play blackjack. I've got 100 bucks. I'm ready to go. And four minutes later, he was back and had another video. I lost it on two hands. Sounds about right. I'll never forget. We went for my buddy's, uh, my brother-in-law's bachelor party, and he left the first night. Like He went back to his room at 8 o'clock, and he was pissed. And I'm like, what happened? Talked to him the next morning. Apparently, he thought he was at a 25-cent slot machine, and it was a $25 slot machine. And how do you he, make that mistake? I, that's what I told him. I said, how much were you drinking to not realize that yeah. Cent sign was a dollar sign, so that's how Vegas went for him. That's good. So, speaking of gambling, the Blues are gambling some of their roster situations you right son now. Son of a. Because they're coming back with basically the same defensive core as they did a year ago. The one really big shakeup that they've made to the roster was bringing in Kevin Hayes. JR has a great piece over on The Athletic where he put together his 10 bold predictions for the upcoming season. JR, I want to start with what we talked about a little bit earlier today in relation to your piece. We put together four of your bold predictions. Which one would be the most likely out of these four? I want to get your thoughts on it. Kyrou scores 45 goals. Neighbors is a second line forward. Perunovic plays 70 games. Or Benner has the 915 save percentage. Of those four, which one do you think would be the most likely? Most likely. Okay, so... Kairou getting 45, even though I, you know, boldly predicted it, sure. that, that's a lot, right? And if they want him to play a more all-around game, it's going to be tough to get to, to 45, even though I think he'll be that guy one day. Um, neighbors, I think the opportunity's there. I think that if they decide that they want to have a heavy-hitting fourth line, Blake can be on that fourth line. Uh, Bennington, the save percentage, that was a hard one to predict, you know, to say he's going to be at a 915 because it's not all up to him, you know, if he if the defense isn't good. Um, what was the other one? The fourth it one? It was um, Perunovic per 70 games. Yeah, so that one's going to be tough because there's just so much depth, eight or nine guys deep. So if you give me those four, I'm going to say the best chance for one of those to happen is neighbors playing on second mm. That's what I'm talking Uh-oh. about, I didn't JR. know. I wasn't listening Karen, earlier. I'm Karen, sorry. You know not to agree with <laughs> him on this <laughs> show. Alex, you should have texted me. Yeah. Give me a heads up also, on Also, he didn't say he was a, He yeah. said Jake Neighbors is playing with Robert Thomas yeah, on this season. Line. I said he has a chance to. I said I'm going to take what JR <laughs> said. I'm going to make it even 45. bolder. JR, I... I don't think I'm crazy here. You tell me if you disagree. And you know I, I have some ridiculous ideas. Jerry, you know what to do here. Jake Neighbors does something really well, which is he he creates space for his line mates. He's a guy that is willing to go to the front of the net. And we know how Craig Bruby likes to construct his lines, right? He likes to have a guy that can shoot, a guy that can distribute down the middle, and he likes to have a space creator on one side as well, where that guy's going to be at the front of the net. That kind of feels like a potential Cairo, Thomas, and Neighbors line, but it would require Neighbors to be incredibly, take a big step defensively. He's got to be very responsibly sound. Is that crazy to think that Neighbors could finish as the top line left winger with that line? Did he just BKO Neighbors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what he did. Yeah, neighbors will be in Springfield by the middle of the season. <laughs> BKO Thanks, Brandon. Neighbors. Hey, here's what I think about Neighbors. Brandon. Think about he went back to junior, right? So that was good for him, but it was bouncing back and forth. Last year, Springfield, bouncing back and forth. Also, he played, he came back from some injuries after being in that long uh, junior run. So I think the fact that he's healthy, at least as I know he is, and the fact that he has a potential role on this team. Now it's a matter of where do you fit him? And and I think 
to your question, you ask about his defensive play. I, I think that he's reliable. I think he can be that guy. Now, could he be a top guy and play with a Thomas and a Kyrou? You know, I think that he could in a pinch, but I don't know what Craig Bruby's going to do with the Lions coming into camp, but I put Buchnevich with Thomas sure. and Kyrou, and I think that it's going to give neighbors some credit and comfort playing with a guy like Shen. So if Shen's in the middle of that second line, that's part of the reason why I feel that neighbors could be a fit there. Hey, and listen, I'm not saying for two months, three months of the season. I just think that he's going to get an opportunity there. And yes, I do think he's to the point in his young career that he's capable of holding his own on that line. The one that BK nixed, which I just don't understand why he gets to do that in this bold predictions that I thought was most likely to happen was the Kevin Hayes dynamic. I actually believe that the off ice issues that were present last year in terms of just not clicking the right way. You had Falk say after the season that they just didn't carry themselves professionally. I feel like a Kevin Hayes and really an Oscar Sundquist now fixes that issue. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And you know what? Just uh, the old cliche, how the sausage is made. Listen, I felt it was time for a blues article. I wanted to write one this week, and I felt like, hey, it's not quite time for the 10 bold predictions, but I'm going to sit down. So, you know, you got a blank screen, and you got a cursor, <laughs> and you've got fans out there who like Bennington, don't like Bennington, think neighbor's going to be great, think he's not going to be great. And so when you sit down and the cursor's blinking, you know, what do I write here? And the things that came to mind, you know, are like a Kevin Hayes. And just my dealings with him so far and talking to people about him, they say he's great. And I know it, before last year became a big deal, that locker room, I just knew there were, it, it, it didn't matter. There yeah. weren't guys in there that just got along. Never and, felt the same. Yeah, never felt the same. And and so when a Kevin Hayes comes in here, yeah, I just spent uh, an hour over at Matthew Kachuk's house this morning, and he's related, you know, by marriage to uh, Kevin Hayes. And you know, when we finished the interview for the story I'm writing about Matthew, I said uh, I, I get a feeling that Kevin Hayes is going to be a good fit here with the St. Louis Blues. And you know, Matthew and his, you know, I don't say accent, but he says, "Oh yeah, it'll be fine, be fine, <laughs> it'll be fine." I think Kevin's going to do good here. You know, so I think that Kevin Hayes is going to come in here and not only. You know, we'll see what happens on the ice. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and promise that this is going to be a good player. And then two months people say, yeah, that's not working out. But in terms of coming into the locker room and making people gel, you're right. Him, Sunquist, guys like that, those are going to be the glue guys. JR, as I look at some of the teams that made the playoffs last year, the Kings took a big step. Kraken were excellent. You look at the Winnipeg Jets. I think everybody's been trying to say this is the year that they rebuild for like the last five years. Minnesota continued to be a 100-win team despite the big money that is now on the books for players that are not there anymore. What's the case for the Blues? What, if you were just saying, hey, optimistic Blues fan, you just went through a crap Cardinals season, coming off of a crap Blues season, the optimistic case for the Blues heading into this season is what? Yeah, so when I look at the Blues, I think the word retool. And every time I find myself saying that, you know, it kind of comes with not going to make the playoffs. And I don't want to sit here and say to you guys, why not the Blues? Why can't they make the playoffs? Well, we saw it last year, right? The defense is the same coming back. And until we get two, three months into the season and it's playing a lot better, I'm not going to buy it. I'm just not going to buy that this is a good defensive team until we see it. So when you think to yourself, is this a playoff team? The answer's got to be no. It's just this is not a, a team that I think can compete for the Stanley Cup or even a second or third round. But then when you look at the teams involved in the Western Conference and you realize they have issues too, and you mentioned a couple of them, you, at least I can, I can tell myself that the Blues, if certain guys play well, and if these guys who have something to prove, like a Verona, like a Kapanen, like a Kevin Hayes, these defensemen who've been ripped for 12 months show some pride and play better hockey, that this can be a team, and I'm going to give you a best-case scenario in my mind, is 
in that wild card conversation. So do they slip up and play better and play third in the central? You know, they could, but what I'm going to say is this is a team that can be in the wild card conversation going into the season. And let me tell you, it can go both directions. It sure. can go, they can play well, and this could be the 27th team in the NHL standings. But as we are a couple weeks out from training camp, I feel this is a team that you shouldn't say can't make the playoffs. I, I think that they have a chance if some things go uh, as uh, as at least Doug Armstrong expects. One more for me, JR. I, the question I get asked so much is, is Mike Weber going to make this defense better? And, and I mean, we've talked a lot about how whether it's, hitting coaches or power play coaches, defensive coaches, if they make that much of a difference. I know you've talked with players and you've talked with coaches. How much of an impact do like does a Mike Weber really have on four guys that have been mainstays in the NHL for at least six years? Yeah, this isn't and shouldn't be a slight against Mike Van Ryan. He won a uh, Stanley Cup with this team, but I think a different voice is going to help. It's, it helps a lot with head coaches. Uh, I don't think that Craig Bruby has worn out his welcome. I don't think his voice has grown stale, but at some point you have to have some different voices and I think they tweaked some things defensively last year it didn't work out you had a lot of players underperform but Alex when I did the story on Mike Weber joining the Blues as a defensive coach the couple people that I spoke to who coached with him last year in the American Hockey League they said this guy just drips it he drips defense he drips wanting to get guys to play the game and to do things for their teammates. So that's what I didn't see last year. I didn't see guys willing to sacrifice, guys willing to block a shot, guys willing to get their butts into the corner and win a battle that they probably don't have any business winning. And they said that Mike Weber, and he's got some banged up knees, that's kind of why his career ended, but he's the type of guy who will get out there in the drills and he'll be the most obnoxious looking guy out there because he's trying to show these guys what he wants from them. So I haven't seen it yet in person. I've just talked to the guys that coached with him last year, but they say he gets involved in the drills as much as he can. He wants to show these guys what he wants from them. And the number one thing that he's going to bring to this defense isn't so much going to be the scheme or all of a sudden they're going to be number two in the league in terms of goals against, but he's going to build a defense where guys want to play the game and want to play for each other. I'm looking forward to the Blues having a team that has great chemistry because of Kevin Hayes, where Jordan Cairo is scoring 45 goals. <laughs> Jake Favors a is a second line forward. And where Jordan Bennington, because the defense isn't better in front of him, Vesna. has a 915 save percentage this season. Oh, That's the bigger. Blues that I'm looking forward to because I read over in The Athletic that it will be so. Jeremy Rutherford is a fantastic writer over at The Athletic. You should be following him on Twitter at JP Rutherford as well. And what about Riv making uh, us forget about Darren Pang? Yeah, that was... <laughs> I'm surprised that one wasn't number one just to see how Jamie reacted. Yeah, right away I just say, sorry, Panger, if you're reading this. I'm not. <laughs> oh, no, Jamie's going to be him. amazing. Yeah. He's going to yeah, do a fantastic job with that. Thanks, boys. JR, appreciate the time as always. We'll be talking with Jeremy Rutherford weekly throughout the Blue season and what, fingers crossed, we, we deserve this here <laughs> we in St. Louis. We need this. We'll be a better Blue season this year. So looking forward to that. Coming up next, I owe Alex an apology. I'll explain it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. 
that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. If you go over there, you'll see our full interview that we just did with Jeremy Rutherford in studio. Appreciate him stopping by today. Excited for the blue season to officially kick up because I'm going to be totally frank with you guys. I'm getting sick of talking about the Cardinals <laughs> as often as we do. They're getting sick of us talking about them. Totally too. agree. If you are bored with the Cardinals, trust us. So are we at times. But the biggest thing going in town, and this has been such a disaster of the season that we we got to continue to talk about them for the time being. But sooner rather than later, uh, the Blues are going to be a huge oh. topic of conversation. The Blues are coming. The Blues are coming. Alex, I owe you an apology. On what? There's a lot of options that you... I can make a Ferrari of five of the things that you should be apologizing for. Like calling him a secondary piece, you should apologize. Yeah. So, I told you about a month ago. It was about three weeks ago, actually, now. That you're ridiculous for bringing up the notion that Zach Thompson could be a starter for the Cardinals. I'll correct you there before your apology. You didn't say it to me. You yelled it at me. That's fair. The text line can not back only that wrong, up. but loud wrong. Yeah. That Zach Thompson could be a starter for the Cardinals next year. And the reason why I said it, I I do think that I had legitimate reasons to believe that was the case. I basically was operating under the idea that, hey, his minor league numbers are awful, like genuinely horrible. He was walking like 20% of the batters that he faced. And when he came up to the big leagues, there was no reason to believe that was going to change. And then it did in not just a meaningful way, but in a huge way, man. Over his last four appearances, the guy has gone 18 innings and has struck out 23 batters with three, count them, three walks over those four games in total. So, Zach Thompson has opened my eyes. He officially has my attention of maybe not being a reliever next year, but potentially competing for that number five role with Steven Matz. I don't think it should shock anybody if those guys are in a competition with one another going into next year's spring training. And I think what I missed was, and we've talked about this, The strike zone has been completely different down in the minor leagues this year compared to what it was previously. The automatic ball strike zone means that the zone is a little bit lower. It is dependent upon each hitter that is coming up to the plate as opposed to your typical zone. Um, And so I I owe you an apology because you saw with your own eyes because you watched the games. Zach Thompson looks different. That felt like a shot. No, it was credit (laughs) to you for watching the baseball games. Zach Thompson looks different. He looks like somebody that can help this team moving forward. And you were 100% correct. We'll see if that continues. But so far, Thompson has been the most impressive Cardinal starter since the start of August. Yeah. And and I mean, I don't, it's not sitting here acting like he's going to be a difference maker for this team. But I think if you're talking Steven Matz and Zach Thompson, Zach Thompson, at least in four starts, has shown you consistency that every single outing, he's going to give you what you think he's going to provide. Four or five innings, he's going to give you five or more strikeouts, and he's going to limit the amount of hits, but he's also going to hit the strikes on walks are going to be minimum. And I think that's a good thing for this Cardinals team to have. I, I was more... I was more optimistic about Zach Thompson because of what we've heard Katie Wu talk about with us in terms of guys go down to the minors and work on things. And I don't know if that was Zach Thompson working on things or frankly unsure of where he fell into play for the Cardinals. Was he a bullpen arm? Was he a starting arm? It seemed like he was getting mixed messages. But then you saw that start. I think it was against Colorado. That was the one that I say, okay, we talk about swing and miss stuff for Zach Thompson. He's got it. It's just a matter of can you do it consistency. And that's the part for me that it's like, hey, I got to see four or five starts from this guy before I can actually buy in. Well, now we're at four starts. 
and you're still getting that swing and miss stuff. So, uh, again, it, perfect world. Cardinals spend the money to go get ones and twos, and we sit here and go into next season, maybe even a third starting pitcher, and we talk about Zach Thompson competing for a sixth man in that spot, maybe a five. But now that you've gotten Thompson and Dakota Hudson showing you competitive outings, that puts you in a much better spot for next year, and that gives me at least optimism for a Zach Thompson for this team. Yeah, and for Zach Thompson, like to your point on what you just said there, he is going to be the sixth slash swing man for the Cardinals going into next year. Like it would not shock me if he is either A in the bullpen as a long reliever or B down in Memphis as the number one for them going into next year. And he's earned that right now. And again, it's gonna to to come down to the final like five starts that he gets in the season uh to finish things off. But right now he is the guy that probably falls at number six on their projected depth chart if I had to guess. My guess is it's free agent or trade A, free agent or trade B, Michaelis, free agent or trade C Matt's and then Thompson sits at that number six spot for them on their depth chart right now safety net so that that free agent three might be one of these guys that are performing well for you the crazy thing about Zach Thompson is every time we've seen him at the major league level he's been good yeah every time he's never had a bad yeah the the guy over the last two seasons has thrown 69 innings very nice he has a 2.97 ER very nice (laughs) 2.97 like when he's up he is incredibly effective but we haven't seen enough of him because last year he was riding the up and down AAA uh, Memphis shuttle. And this year, I, I will give them, I guess, a little bit of credit because they decided midseason this guy is a starter. Now, I thought it was silly at the time because at that, at that point you were still trying to contend in 2023. So you willingly made your team worse. But the only reason why we're seeing Zach Thompson stretched out right now is because they decided to do that. So they kind of fell into what was a good decision. Yeah. They were like, oh, hey, this worked out for us. Yeah, Bad we knew process this. process led oh, to a no. good result. Yeah, they're going to be doing another victory lap where they're like, hey, look, we fixed our necks. <laughs> we look at our track. But the, the positive thing here, if you want to look at it that way, is they might have found something. Yep. They, they might have actually developed what is a quality starter. And if Zach, Tom- if Zach Thompson becomes a really nice number four starter, that would be the best Cardinals starter that they've developed since Jack. Am I missing somebody that immediately well, comes to mind for you? Uh, Dakota Hudson. <laughs> it's around the same Ace. time, but sure. Yeah, the, that that like era the of pitcher. Yeah, I mean, that's that's meaningful, man. And, and for you to be able to develop that guy internally, it means you've got somebody that's cost controlled. He's not even arbitration eligible until 2026. And now the back end of your rotation can be a little cheaper while you are able to go out and spend the money to bolster the front end. And if it goes poorly for Zach at some point, you know that he's got the stuff to work in bullpens for 100%. you. 100%. And, and that next is year also they just a huge trust weapon. It. Yeah. Next year they got to say, screw it, let's use this guy yeah. in the bullpen. Now, he is somebody that needs more days off, and this is where you get into some of the issues that potentially linger with the Ryan Helsley injury stuff, where they're saying right now, hey, he's going to have like multiple days off after his appearances. He's only getting a clean inning, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're going to have that and you've got Zach Thompson in your bullpen who can only go on specific days and you've got X, Y, and Z with these other relievers where they have to be used in specific situations, well, now you start getting into too many defined roles and not enough guys that are just saying, hey, give me the ball. I'll go get you three outs. And that's what this Cardinals team needs in the bullpen, and that's why they got to continue to bolster it going into next season. We're getting into some NFL quick hitters next year on 101 ESPN. You're an I, idiot. You're an absolute 100% total idiot. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, guys. There may be a running back trade that's coming by the end of the day today. I am referring to Jonathan Taylor, who, according to reports, if he is not traded, will be placed on the physically unable to perform list. So if you drafted him in your fantasy league, bye-bye. He's gone for at least the first month of the season at that point. But he still may be traded by the end of the day today. The Colts view this as apparently a deadline for a deal. There have been some reports, according to the Athletics specifically, that the Dolphins are involved in these negotiations. They are apparently not alone in that regard, though. There Chiefs? are others that are also interested in the services of one um, Jonathan Taylor, including the Chicago Bears and, surprisingly enough, the Denver Broncos, according to this report. That makes sense. Javante Williams... Just came off a pretty significant injury, right? His ACL, ACL. I think PCL. Wasn't he as well. injured the year prior to that too? Uh, I don't believe no? so. No. Okay. Last year was Denver year. makes sense. I don't know how they have the assets to make it work, but I've seen crazier things. Do you guys think this gets done? Do you think yeah. that Jonathan Taylor will be traded by the end of the day today? Yeah, because somebody's gonna cough up the asking price, or at least close to it, because they want him ready to go for Week One. And so I don't know who's a, Chicago makes a whole lot of sense in terms of their depth chart, but yeah, I could see it happening. I don't think it does because he's going to be going on the IL I, or the IL. He's going to be he's going to be placed where he's not going to be available for the first month. And if I'm like the Dolphins, for example, I wouldn't trade the assets to go get him. If he was healthy, then I think this happens. But the fact matter that he's dealing with an injury, I, I don't see it. I think he's going to be an Indianapolis Colt by the end of the day. I'd like him to be gone ASAP because I got another draft on Friday, one that's not a super flex that has 14 teams in it. So that one I actually have a shot at. Uh, I'm not talking about the fantasy football league anymore. I've put a put a nix on that. I think everybody's on the same page. We all agree. Look, man, I did can't. nothing wrong. The the people that are complaining, Look, they're man. the ones that were in the wrong. You can't Preach keep commission. mixing things for me to talk about. I'm an independent <laughs> yeah. person, and I do what I want. I'm making independent decisions about what the group of us have to do. Oh, Apparently, that's what I did with Fantasy League, too. All right, as we continue moving on here with some NFL quick hitters, did you guys see what Kelly Stafford said about her husband? T-Bone, his team is in... A horrible position already. (laughs) This is not good for anybody who drafted Cooper Cup. Matt Stafford's wife apparently hosts a podcast. I was unaware of this where she talks about her husband. Whose podcast was it? Hers. She's got her own podcast. It's called The Morning After with uh, Kelly Stafford. And no, I'm not talking about TMA. This is apparently a new show. Who's is bigger? Fair question. TMA has a massive audience. We'll have to ask Tim that. His or uh, Kelly Stafford's? Yeah, who had the show first? And whoever... If TMA had it first, they should they sue should, Kelly yeah, Stafford. Tim, Absolutely should. I see dollar signs. <laughs> hey, now. And if there's anybody on the station that's good with business, it's Tim yeah. and it's Jamie Rivers. Yeah. I would trust Woo! those two to get the most out of it. Man. All right. So what she said about her rich. husband is that apparently he can't relate to any of the young players on his team. He said that they're always just in their phone. He does. He can't remember their names, so he has uh, printed out pictures of their Facebook. Oh Matt Stad- Stafford absolutely is handing out name tags when he walks into the locker room. This guy sounds like Brett Favre at the end of Brett Favre's career, where he walked around and said, "Hey, I I get into the the lunchroom and I'm eaten by myself because I can't relate to any of my younger teammates." He acts like he's like 70 years out. Like he's been we, around these young guys. We're with a millennial every day. I don't have a problem <laughs> yeah. being able to I connect, connect with, with Tanner all the time. If Stafford's doing what you guys do, oh, what about this movie from the 2000s? And Stafford's in trouble. Okay? What, about, what is happening? This is, uh, this is absolutely 
the opening of the door for them to be like, ah, oh, Matt needs to be traded. He can't connect with these young players, but he'll go over here because he can connect well, with these guys. It's not the Rams saying it. It's his wife. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> who's publicly making the information known. Hey, my husband hates his teammates. Now, to be fair, the Rams, like 50 of their 90 players on the 90-man roster are rookies. Yep. So it's totally understandable that he doesn't recognize anybody in the room right now because all of them are new. But you don't every need, single one. But of you them. don't need to re- recognize the dude you're going to be throwing the ball to all season. Cooper Cup. That's who you need to That's recognize. The funny thing about this is like most of his weapons, they're the same. Have been there for like three years. <laughs> his, his tight end is the exact same. Has been there since Stafford's been there. Cooper Cup's been there since Stafford's been there. Van Jefferson's been there. Hell, Scrodick's been there since Stafford's <laughs> yeah, been there. Like, and I didn't even mention his tight end. Higby and his head coach is still the same. Like, yeah. what are we doing, Kelly? Man, he, his wide receivers are all pretty old, to be honest. Yeah, and, Jeff, not, and not like old, old by like old by standards. Not football, terms. For football sta- standards. Ben Skaronic, Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Demarcus Robinson, who's been in the league for like seven, eight years now. Tutu Atwell, who was a rookie, what three years ago now? Yeah, and then stinks. Tyler Johnson. Isn't his offensive line the same too? Well, I mean, that poor, I mean, he may not want to friend them because they're going to get but, him but killed But what I'm saying is the guys he works with on a daily basis, you know them all. Yeah. It's, uh, come on, Kelly. It's certainly interesting. Um, it's a bit concerning to say that this is coming yeah. from his wife a week well, before. Can the I be honest? At this point, I know he's not going to be the QB in two years, Who, so I don't even care. Who's the oldest team in the NFL? I would have, I don't know the answer to your I would question, think the but Jets. if I was going to talk out of my ass real quick, I'm going to go with the Jets. <laughs> yeah. Let's see who the oldest. I would think Rodgers, oh, who's like that old. 40, and Randall Cobb okay. who, on his walker. Whoever the oldest by age team is this year, Matt Stafford will be traded by week eight to him. Oh, apparently it is the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There you go. Go, really? co- go connect with Mike Evans and Chris Evans. No, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. Go connect with them. Hey, it's a good Rams. offensive line, better offensive line than the Rams. I wouldn't rule out not him being traded in season, but I think the Rams are going to explore it in the offseason. Well, Kelly's again. already starting that fire. <laughs> so I asked you guys the other day, uh, one of these would you rather questions. The Athletics doing a series on would you rather be team X or team Y, right? Would you rather be the New York Jets or the Miami Dolphins? Think about short-term, long-term, what your roster looks like. If you were a general manager and they allowed you to be in charge of one of those two teams, who would you rather be, the Jets or the Dolphins? I think it's a really interesting question because I think they're very yeah. – they both are trying to contend this year but with like very different rosters. Yeah, I I think I would rather be the Dolphins just because I, I look at their offense as more dynamic. Now, all of this is pending a quarterback, but – pluck both quarterbacks out of the scenario because Aaron Rodgers is going to be there in about a year. Both are going to be searching for quarterbacks probably in a couple of years, unless Tua does hit. I would much rather have that offense with Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, potentially Jonathan Taylor and the young players that they have on the other side of the ball and their head coach than what the Jets have. I think I would be the New York or excuse me. I think I would be the Miami Dolphins. I, I kind of agree with Alex. I look at their situation I think their weapons are better. I think you've got Tyreek Hill locked up. You're going to lock up Jalen Waddle, my assumption. Defensively, you're all in right now. Yeah. You've got all those pieces there. And I think when I look at head coaches, don't get me wrong, I think Robert Saul is a really good coach. Problem is he's not an offensive-minded coach, and that's very critical or crucial in the NFL. And I think with the Dolphins, if two is not the guy, 
I think you can pluck and play anybody in that oh, system yeah. with Mike McDaniel. I don't think you can do the same with Zet, with uh, the New York Jets well, with they, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they tried it with Matt Stafford. Yeah, they he should. could connect well and with them. And they're yeah, old. and they've and they and they've only got two years with Rodgers. If two it hits, I mean. He's the quarterback there for the next 10-plus years. So I would say the Miami Dolphins. I'm going with the Dolphins as well. Sweep it. I thought that maybe one of you guys would take the Jets because I, I think there's a case to be made the Jets are going to be better this year. Like it, It's not hard to imagine the Jets being the better of these two teams this year. I think they've got more dynamic younger players. The Jets do? Yeah. Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner. Uh, who's the defensive Tucker is yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, they do, but I've also got Jalen Watt. Like, Mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson is better than Jalen Waddle, but Jalen Waddle's a really good player nonetheless. Absolutely. The Dolphins have some really good defensive players as well. Jalen Ramsey's on that team. Now he's hurt right now, but he's a stud defensive player whenever he's healthy. Bradley Chubb they just traded for last year. They've got some yeah. studs on that side. So I, I think I would go Dolphins because they both have the short and the long term available to them. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. anything from today's show check it out on the podcast page also you should join us and bud light for blues and brews on friday evening september the 22nd at anheuser-busch brewery you get fired up for the blue season at the outdoor street party that features live music from country music star chris lane and local blues musician marquise knox you can also see some appearances by blues players there'll be alumni food trucks blues merch and so much more get your tickets right now for blues and brews on September 22nd. More details at 101ESPN.com. All right, boys, let's finish today's show uh, where we began, which is by looking back to last night's game. You had Blake Snell on one side, you had Wayne on the other. First of all, an absolute disaster for the Cardinals not to be able to give their all, or not for their offense to no, give no chance to Wayne to win that one. Just a disaster. And this offense has been an atrocity now for the last 12 games. They've scored 13 runs in their 10 losses in that stretch. On the Blake Snell side of things, Alex, we've talked so much about the pitching market that's available this offseason. Last night was a reminder for me as to why he's like third on my list of the free agent pitchers that are available. I'd rather go Yamamoto. I would rather go Aaron Nola. Nola is my number one with a star next to his name. Snell's lack of command is just so concerning to me when I'm going to be giving him a long-term contract. And we saw that even against the Cardinals offense last night. Yeah, lack of command and just insecure about him being available from start to finish of the season. And that's where Aaron Nola comes into play for me and why he has been number one and will be number one on my wish list. I know he's going to be there for at least 30 games next season for me. And I think that's important for a team that one needed a lot more consistency from their starters and two, somebody who has the experience that Aaron Nola has in terms of stepping into a team to help them get back into winning mindsets. Yeah, and, and look, I, I've been a guy that's been on the radio here and been saying, you know, I would go after Blake Snell after seeing him last night in person. And I've watched a couple of his starts from the San Diego perspective late at night. He he definitely feels more of 
not the Cardinals cup of tea because there is so much risks to if the stuff diminishes, he could be a awful contract. But if it's like a three-year deal, if he's willing to take more money and you could go uh, shorter on term, three years, two years with an option, I would still be interested if I'm the St. Louis Cardinals. But I think they're going to be looking more secure. Aaron Nola, the guy that just screams security for the St. Louis. Yeah, I think they've been scouting Yamamoto for a reason like every team is. But I think Nola is going to be that priority number one for a Cardinals team. And then if that doesn't work, then we drop back to see if Yamamoto is a possibility. Any predictions on what we'll see from Zach Thompson tonight? Lefty going up Uh, against what is a star-studded, but underperforming Padres lineup? I think you're going to see the same. I think you're going to see somebody who can give them four or five innings, and I think you'll see somebody who gives them about five to seven strikeouts. I I think we have a disappointing night from Thompson. My my gut tells, and it's not like, it's not like, oh, he's not a starter. It's, he's due for a bad outing. This is a really good lineup, and there's, let's just be honest, bad vibrations around this Cardinals team right now. That's very true. And this feels like one of those where it could just go south quickly, and I won't diminish him for it, because every starter has a bad outing, he hasn't had his yet. Give me five out, five innings. Fight through what you're talking about, T-Bone. Give up three earned runs. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not an ideal start for any pitcher, but he keeps you in. It gives you a chance to win, and then they lose whenever the bullpen comes in. For Alex and T-Bone right. on BK, what? Fast Lane's yeah. coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.